Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, and my name is for my friends. Hello, friends. It's Kieran B. I completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one, each episode myself. And revolving co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who-should-have-won podcast. We are here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email, which is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. You can get us on any one of our social media accounts at bestpicturecast, be it Twitter, be it Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook. We are at bestpicturecast. And we're back for a new season for a new Best Picture winner and quite the grand affair indeed. We want to remind you, if you're out there, if you're finding this podcast for the first time, we love to talk movies here. We want to talk movies to people who love movies as well. So anyone you know out there, even if they're not one of your friends, if they're a foe, as we've said in the past, let them know about Best Picture Cast. Send us our way. We uh, love a new listener here. And today we are starting our fourth season of Talking Best Picture Winners, and we're doing so with David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia. That's right. This is going to be the first of a two-part episode. It's the first time we've ever done this. So we're talking part one. We're talking about the first half up into the intermission here for this first one. And we'll be right back with you next week to talk about the second half and to close things up a little bit. But we have plenty planned for both episodes. And I'm going to start by introducing the gentlemen who are here to talk Lawrence of Arabia with me today. Guys, it's going to be fun, and we'll start with RDP. Season four, Jesus Christ. It has, we made it. We're doing it, Harry. We're here. It's, uh, we're just about starting the second half here. It's just it's the second half season-wise, and you were here for episode number one. Right? This is wild. And this is, a, this is an episode that we have been talking about since the very beginning. You and I had planned this out as a two-part episode. We're going to tackle this thing together, and we wanted to kind of separate the two and plot it out. And here we are at the start of season four. And joining us today along this journey through the desert, we have Jay Dowski. Jay, you're back again. Yes, yeah, just uh, I thought maybe it would uh, take a couple more months in between starts for me, but you brought me right back <laughs> on a three That's days right. rest. <laughs> That's right. That's a, we, we really got iced to the kicker a few times with you. And here you are. You were on our. Our, our Beautiful Mind episode, you were on our League of Their Own episode, and you're right back here to talk Lawrence Arabia, a slightly grander film than those two. That's right, just happy to be here. <laughs> but this isn't just the grandest film that Jay has covered with us here. This is one of the grandest films of all time, Lawrence of Arabia, by many a measuring stick by which others compare themselves. And I'm going to start, guys, by asking you when the first time you saw Lawrence of Arabia was, what your first experience with it was. Artie, what's up with you? So back when you were doing your original watch of all the original Best Picture movies, you messaged me right after you watched this one. And you, there were two movies you messaged me right after and said, dude, you got to watch these movies. And it was The Lost Weekend, which was incredible, and Lawrence of Arabia. So I immediately just went and got the DVD. I think I got Bridge on the River Kwai the same day at Best Buy. I watched it straight through and I just was completely taken aback, blown away, loved it. 
It's a masterpiece. Like, um, you know, as right there, as you said, at my time frame, it's going to be around <laughs> the same time. But Jay, I want to kick it off to you. When was the first time you saw it? Well, I'm not going to lie, guys. My first time was not so grand. I watched it probably about 10 years ago. And for such a big movie, I watched it on a small screen in my small living room. Just had my phone around, a lot of distractions sitting on my couch. And so I, I watched the whole thing and I knew it was a good movie. I knew it was very well done. I just didn't get into it that first time around. Yeah, I, I think that that is an experience that many people have with this movie because it's kind of one of those movies that's put on a pedestal where everyone's like, you gotta see Lawrence Arabia, you gotta see Lawrence Arabia. And then they finally do it. It's a lot to take in the first time. There's there's no doubt about it. And every time I've watched this movie, I've had a little bit of a different experience with it. And it's a movie that uh, that I I love. It's one of my favorites of all time. And the first time I saw it, already you said it was going to be around the same time frame, like right out of college. Uh, I know that I'm going to get into watching a lot of these movies. And this was one that I, I, I sought out because it, it was always Lawrence of Arabia. It was always that big title. And my mom was, saw it in theaters and was a big fan of it over the years. And it was a movie that I always knew about by title, but didn't know about by content. And I watched it for the first time and was just kind of, you know, saying you're blown away is kind of an overused phrase, but I was kind of blown away in a very different way and saying like, wow, I don't even know what I just saw, but I know I loved it. I don't fully know why I love it outside of the obvious visual answers and whatnot, but I knew that it was going to be a movie that I would be digesting and thinking about for, for the future of, of loving film. So let's start with uh, what beers we brought to the occasion here. Uh, Artie, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, what do you bring for the uh, the trip through the desert here? I needed a lot to get through the desert, so we're back up in the ABV column with uh, Sam Adams beer. That is 8.3%. That's, that's hot shit. <laughs> I swear this is on the can. They probably had a few of these before they named it. The Wicked Double Hazy Juicy Double New England IPA Style. That is all right there on the can. That beats the Brooklyn Summer Grapefruit, whatever Chris <laughs> was drinking last week. Oh, boy. And I'm drinking a Heine Light. There we go. We're keeping it nice and simple here. And you're only yeah, having one tonight, right, Artie? Only one of those, and then I'm switching to the Sam Adams Wicked Tropical IPA. Jay, I'll drink when you drink. How about that? <laughs> yeah, so I have uh, with me the Hell or High Watermelon 21st Amendment Brewery. It's one of my seasonal favorites here. It's a summer seasonal that they have. Do you have any buffalo wings to go uh, with that? No, but a great pairing, yes, as if you've uh, heard me sip on this before. That is one of my... One of my recommends there is you can check that out with uh, some nice buffalo wings. So, guys, I want to, I wanna, before we do the full deep dive here, I want to throw out some initial thoughts about this thing before we really start to tackle the narrative. Artie, I know, outside of just knowing your love from the film, I know that a lot of your sensibilities of a viewer really sync up in line with this film. So I want to kick it off to you first. Initial thoughts about Lawrence Arabia for this podcast. So this is the most excited I've been to record one of these episodes for any of these movies that we've done. This is the one I'm like, I can't wait to get there. I wanted to get here early. Uh, that's not happening with Kieran, but anyway. The importance of the film-going experience has been lost over time. It's diminished. Everything now relies on attention-grabbing plot lines and uh, love stories, intense action, twists, um, you know, clever scripts that tie the, the middle front and back all together. And we need more films that don't have traditional narratives. 
and instead focus on, on other aspects of filmmaking and experiment with other styles of narratives, like a character narrative rather than a story-driven narrative. Staying with one person and, and, and feeling their experience through the movie. And this movie does that. I'm in the desert. I'm with Lawrence. I'm watching him. I feel the sun. I feel isolated. It really does do something to you at a subconscious level. That's why Spielberg says he watches it, he leaves it, he can't even process what he just watched. It's because you're watching a ten-layer presentation, and you, you can jump from layer to layer, you're not getting it all at one time. You need it. It's like a great album. When you first listen to a great album, you don't love it right away. You go, okay, I could tell that was good, but I gotta re-listen to it. And then track by track, you fall in love with all the tracks. That's kind of what this is. Yeah, and isn't it? You know, I think when we often think about like going back to the '60s, and uh, we, you know, we think about a a, a simpler time or techn technologically a, a a lesser time. Isn't it funny to think that that we may have accomplished something visually in the '60s that we'll never see again? This is the pyramids of movies. It's yeah. like the Egyptian pyramids. <laughs> like, we're not doing this again. Like, yeah. we don't even have interest in doing it again. Jay, opening thoughts here. With yeah, I mean, the movie itself is just an incredible experience. It's an investment. It's not something you can just be on your phone halfway through and, and give half your attention. And they don't really make movies like this anymore. The, the intro with just the music alone is something that you, you rarely, that you would never see ever again in a movie today. And, um, no one's passing that through to, right. to a film. Oh man, yeah, that that the overture, the score in general, man. This is just you know. I know I've been on record as saying that I think that the Godfather is the greatest <laughs> score of all time, but it, it, this is a, certainly one that could easily rival it. Uh, it. There's no doubt about that. I forgot how good this one was. Like when I was on the Godfather episodes, I was like, yeah, this is like the best score ever. But rewatching this, I was like, fuck me, running. This is yeah, right there, one A, one B. Yeah, right from the Star Wars. Jay, you mentioned the overture. And then it kind of comes down and you get that rumble and you see the Columbia pictures and then we go off to the shot of the motorcycle. It's like, wow, we're getting started on a journey here. This is, this is going to be, this is going to be something I'm not ready for. So I think guys, are we ready to do the deep dive? I was going to say it's good, uh, good segues. Let's, uh, let's head back to 1962. Okay. And Jay, you've specifically watched the first half of this movie. As we said before, this is going to be a two part episode and today's episode we're just focusing on the first half up until the intermission jay you're exclusively watched that so you're gonna have a fresh look on that here uh, Artie, you're gonna be with us for part two and that is going to focus on the second half there we're gonna include some some uh, familiar voices on for that one and before we do our deep dive into the past let's take a little look into the future and welcome in the two gentlemen who will be joining us for part two next week and they are BPC regulars, Grant C. and Joey R. Grant, let's start with you. How are we doing here? Are you ready to, to flash into the past with us? I am doing great. I am nervous as hell. Uh, <laughs> this, is the, this is the biggest movie that I'm unfamiliar with for Best Picture cast. Wow. You so know, we'll see bar, how, you, bar, how you fare next the week. The bar is set very high. I'm uh, very nervous about it. I like it. I like it. And Joey, you stepped out of your DeLorean to join us, uh, join us from the future here. How, how are you doing? I'm excited getting into this gigantic homework movie, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, the pressure is only on you guys for the second half of this thing, but I did want to invite you in and uh, join us here for the 
plunge, the deep dive into 1962 so that everyone is a part of it. So uh, are we ready to go here, guys? Are you ready to go? I have a nosebleed from the time travel we just (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And the year is 1962. The president was John F. Kennedy in the second year of a four-year term that was tragically and historically cut short the following year. We'll throw this one out there, guys. I uh, do this sometimes. This one should be a little more of a layup. What does the F stand for in John F. Kennedy? Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. There we go. I gotta toss you. A, I gotta toss you a layup sometimes too. It yeah. can't just can't just be like uh, like the S stands the for Harry S. S. Truman. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bogus question. <laughs> yes, a little a little trick job there. Kennedy was a graduate of Harvard University. He had planned on attending law school at Yale, but enlisted in the Navy instead. And JFK would go on to become a war hero, being honored several medals, including the Navy and Marine Corps Medal, the American Campaign Medal, the Asiatic Pacific Campaign Medal with three stars, American Defense Service Medal, the World War II Victory Medal, and the Purple Heart. So I have a little bit of a trivia question to ask you guys here. This will be a little tougher than the last one I asked. How many presidents... Do you think we're awarded the Purple Heart in the history of the United States? The Purple Heart, of course, goes to someone who uh, was injured in battle. Can I ask you a question? Sure. When was the Purple Heart first issued? I do not know the answer to that, that question. War, uh, which war? You don't know? Uh, no. I'm, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess four. Four. Okay. Joe? Six. Jay. Jay guesses three. And Ari, what's your guess? One. One is the correct answer. JFK okay. is the only president to be awarded the Purple Heart. He uh, was awarded the Purple Heart after he sustained a back injury when a Japanese destroyer sunk his patrol torpedo boat near the Solomon Islands. So it was a, a World War II Purple Heart. A, a true war hero, that, that John F. Kennedy. Yeah, they destroyed his battleship. He's floating <laughs> around in the water. I think he <laughs> yeah. saved people, too. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. I think they made a movie about it. The story's fantastic. It's, I read a book on it once, and I, I read it in like a day because I couldn't stop. Yeah, he's a real hero. <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah. Shifting to the 1962 World Series, the New York Yankees defeated the San Francisco Giants in seven games to win their 20th World Series championship in franchise history. The series ended with the home team Giants having runners on second and third, two outs, and Bobby Richards of the Yankees dramatically grabbed a hard line drive out of the air off the bat of Willie McCovey to end the game and clinch the series, robbing McCovey of a hit that would have ended the series in favor of the Giants. A lot of dramatics at the end of that one. Grant, you're a big Yankee fan. Yeah, they've only won seven World Series since 1962. Yeah, that's good quick Fucking math on your part there. Ass team. But <laughs> a bunch of losers. A bunch of losers. <laughs> I will say though, I will say though, the Yankees won their first World Series in 1923, which means between the years of 23 and 62. 40 World Series were played, and they won 20 of them. That's so wow. they won every other year. That's unbelievable. For 40 years after they won their first one. So, yeah, so the, obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> it would be another 15 years before they would win yeah, again. They, they were, yeah, I mean, they were, they were rough for a while. They went through some pretty big rough patches. The Yankees were managed by Ralph Hulk. The series MVP was Ralph Terry. Hall of Famers in the series included, for the Yankees, only three, which as you can see, it's kind of like the little bit of the downturn. It was, yeah. I mean, three big ones, Yogi Berra, Whitey Ford, and Mickey Mantle. But uh, the days of the other guys have kind well, of I mean, faded Mickey out. Mickey Mantle was kind of past his prime at that point. His, 
hip was falling off and yeah you know and uh, and for the Giants it was uh, Cepeda, Marichal, McCovey, and Mays. Uh, the number one Billboard song of the year in 1962 was the first ever British act to go number one on the Billboard charts. Who do you guys think that is? Starting the British invasion. The, the Monkees. It is not the Monkees. <laughs> I know you want to see the Beatles. It's not the Beatles. It is not the Beatles. Is it the Stones? No, it was Acre Bilk. Oh, is this the clarinet solo? <laughs> <laughs> Acre Bilk the is the so... first Brit to go number one, and he goes number one with an instrumental clarinet piece entitled Stranger on the Shore. <laughs> entitled... <laughs> <laughs> Music was fucking weird back then. The number one hit in 1962 was a clarinet instrumental piece. Wow. From England, starting the British invasion. The uh, can't account for taste, huh? There, there would be another. Uh, there'd be another British instrumental by the Tornadoes, which would go number one, and then from there, the Beatles would come out with uh, "I want to hold, I want to hold your hand," and sure. that would be really the first, you know, full, you know, full-bodied song that would be from England to go number one, and the British invasion goes from there. God but damn. now you can tell everyone at home that the British invasion started <laughs> with a clarinet. And it was Acre Bilk with Stranger on the Shore. I'm not going to burden my family with that information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, at this point, like... Who knew? Like, as soon as, like, the Beatles started making noise, we're like, no, we don't want you guys here anymore. <laughs> like, we, 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 Sorry, we, Acre we, Bilk. We know, we, know, we know what you guys are capable of. <laughs> Other top Billboard hits from 1962 kept the people dancing, including The Twist by Chubby Checker, hmm. The Locomotion by Little Eva, and... Mashed Potato Time by D.D. Sharp. Can you do the mashed potato? I mean, I, I eat mashed potatoes. <laughs> the nice cold glass of milk? No. <laughs> Joey's cringing. Okay, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh. That's right, we're going to go through the world. You guys can join us for that, too. Lawrence of Arabia was the Best Picture winner of 1962. It's directed by David Lean, produced by Sam Spiegel, adapted screenplay by Robert Bolt and Michael Wilson. Based on the autobiography The Seven Pillars of Wisdom by T.E. Lawrence, music was by Maurice Jarre, cinematography by F.A. Freddie Young, film editing by Ann V. Coates, costume design by Phyllis Dalton. It's Arts Arabia is starring Peter O'Toole, Omar Sharif, Anthony Quinn, Sir Alec Guinness, Anthony Quayle, Claude Rains, and Jose Ferrer. Nominated for 10 Oscars, winner of seven, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Set Direction Color, Best Film Editing, Best Music, and Best Sound. Also nominated for, but did not win, Best Actor, Peter O'Toole, Best Adapted Screenplay, Robert Bolt, and Best Supporting Actor, Omar Sharif. Number 95 on the IMDb list there, and uh, number 7 on the AFI Top 100. Only 8.3 on IMDb, bringing it down to 95. Somewhat low, Artie. Yeah, that's egregious. Where's Avengers Endgame again? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's <laughs> well, not I start. Yes, I said Thor Ragnarok's <laughs> like a wonderful movie. It has no business being 50 spots ahead of Lawrence <laughs> no. Arabia. The, no. The, no, I don't want to. That's I, yeah. why I fucking hate that. The, I, I, I want to wait. The, that's, that's why democracy's terrible. The band AFI <laughs> has a much better movie list. <laughs> I, d- I, I want to. Wait, number 95. Dad, I love the family. I, I want to wait to hear to Grant and Joey's thoughts about how egregious that may or may not be till till our, our next week's episode. But 
Joey, you have the other the ones ahead of and behind it. Yeah. So at number ninety four is Citizen Kane. Okay. Again, and, why is it that yeah, low? But and number ninety six is The Hunt. What is The Hunt is with that, uh, Mads Mikkelsen? It's a really good. Oh, it's a foreign. Yeah, it's really good. Okay. And then just for context, some of the ones ahead of it. Ninety three is Capernaum. Capernaum. I'm definitely it's C A P E R N A U M. I'm saying it's Capernaum. 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 92 High and Low, 91 Eternal Sunshine, 90 Reservoir Dogs, 89 2001 A Space Odyssey, 88 Return of the Jedi. So basically there's 15 Christopher Nolan movies ahead of all the great movies you just named, and that's why these are pushed back so far. And 11 Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, 11 Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Avengers Endgame, 15 spots ahead is, is tough. Oh, it fell to 80. Uh, Braveheart's at 73, by the way. Yeah, yeah and there we go. Lots of, lots of BPC connections there. Now... Before I let you guys, Grant and Joey R, head back to the future, I want to throw this out here and just so you guys can react to this with us here. This is normally when, when we do this section, I just kind of read off the people in it and move. But I, I have to call attention to how stacked this cast is as far as acclaim goes. Of these eight actors in the movie, Peter O'Toole, Sir Alec Guinness, Claude Rains, Jose Ferrer, Anthony Quayle, Arthur Kennedy, Omar Sharif, and Anthony Quinn. Amongst them, there are 31 Oscar nominees amongst those eight guys. 31. So there's eight nominees for O'Toole, five for Guinness, four for Reigns, three for Ferrer, one for Quayle, five for Kennedy, one for Sharif, and four for Quinn. So that is a that is what we call a stacked cast. That's unfair. Yeah, and you got a lot of these guys playing. Kind right. of bit role, smaller roles. Yeah, too, so. for sure. Wow. Um, yeah, so, this, so that shows what we're, what we're dealing with here before we uh, get into this one. We are now going to head in, so I am going to bid farewell, Grant, to you and Joey to you. We will see you guys tomorrow. Are you excited, Grant? I'm very excited. Yeah, this is... I, I, I can't. I'm nervous, but excited. Awesome. Joey? Long drive for 10 minutes, but I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Good to, good to see you, Jay. All right, gentlemen. We <laughs> nice will to meet you. See you next week. Okay, so we're at the start of this thing here, guys. Uh, I want to lead off here by asking you, were you jarred by Jay? I'll go with you first. It's been, it's been 10 years since you've seen this before the rewatch here. Did you remember how this film started? Did you remember the, the motorcycle at the beginning? Were you jarred by, by that? No, and spoiler alert, I don't remember really how it ends either. Uh, so when I watched it again, maybe two weeks ago, after learning we were going to do this, I've seen it the first half about three times. And so I'm not sure how it ends. And I didn't remember how it began, but the beginning is so, it, I think you used the word jarring. It's such a jarring beginning, and it's kind of just this incredible um, contrast to where we're about to go in the film. Yeah, and it, it, I think... And I'll speak for myself in saying that when I first saw this and I see a motorcycle, I'm like, huh, wait, what, what is this movie about? Cause I thought we were going back to like the times of Moses and Ben Hur and, and we're going to another time and place. I really didn't know anything about it, the context of time. So you see that motorcycle and like, Oh, wait a minute. What sort of movie am I about to see? Or I thought we were spending all our time out in the desert. Right. I like the clever idea that everyone's going into this going, we're watching a big desert epic. And they're indoors with fans everywhere, blowing air around. Like, that's the air conditioning of the day, I guess. You know, it's a cool... They start off with a, a, the opposite, the total contrast. It, they're inside uh, with the fans are prominent. They're, they're always placed really well in the background. Great shots. Yeah, and, and you know, that, that scene where, we, where we're first introduced to Lawrence, you know, it's kind of like a lobby or a waiting room for where it's about to come. And, 
David Lee makes an amazing decision to keep you away from the desert to start this thing. Puts you off in this little world before he jettisons you right into the middle of it. And with, with one of the greatest cuts in, in film history that we'll talk about in, in a little bit here. But you can see that Lawrence doesn't really want to be there in the beginning there. He's kind of figuring out where, where he wants to be. He's over the map in a true like voyeuristic form of, of painting a map and, and wishing you were somewhere else and doing something else. And, like the, the, such humble beginnings. This guy's yeah. painting a map. If you would have said to him what he was about to be doing in a couple of weeks, he'd never believe you. The <laughs> only thing he knows is that he's bored. He's miserable in this little lobby, as you call it. And he is so ready to get out of that place that once he gets the opportunity to get a job, he doesn't even know what the job is. He just knows he's the guy for it. He wants to get out and do something. Within that, too, you get great little quips and great little lines throughout to just kind of keep you in, keep you in the mix and keep you on your toes the the, Lawrence, you're a real clown. Well, well, we can't all be lion tamers. And Artie, I know you read the screenplay for this one. I read the screenplay today, uh, the first part of the movie. Mm-hmm. There's a line at one point in the screenplay that's not in the movie. The officers, when he um, knocks the billboards around, knocks the billiards around and disrupts their pool game, the officers regard him not with animosity, but with decent disapproval. <laughs> like... It's it's a respected, like, okay, you're a clown. Like, I get it. That's what you are. But to back to the original map coloring room we're in, the Crayola room, <laughs> the match trick he does leads to the first zinger of the movie, the first real powerful line, which is, of course it hurts. It's the not minding that it hurts. Are we going to get into uh, my quote of the movie already? Wow, it's right here. Do we I hit mean, it? My quote of the movie is about the match and it hurting. He says to the guy, the trick is not minding that it hurts. And I feel like knowing that about him right off the bat makes everything he's about to do, all these great feats, all these uh, brave things that he's about to go do and prove people wrong, it just makes sense and it makes him more believable as a character because we've already established that he is ready to be uncomfortable and to do something no matter the cost. And it kind of reminds me of athletics and how athletes, good athletes always say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's where Lawrence is right off the bat in the beginning of this movie. And this is why he's able to do the things that nobody has done before. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up athletics there, Jay, because there's, while this, we're talking in a medium here in, in film and film analysis, so there's going to be a lot of people here who don't give a damn about athletics. That's just how it goes. And I don't think it's necessarily just specific to athletics. It is to leadership and what it means to be a leader, what it takes to be a leader, and the cost it takes on yourself. Uh, it takes on your personal character. and takes on your identity. And all of those are themes strewn throughout this movie. So whether we're talking about the coach of an athletics team or even just like a team leader of someone who runs a business or or manages a, a group of people in any facet. Or a teacher. Yeah, a teacher. Any, any one of those. This movie teaches a lot of lessons and more importantly asks a lot of questions about what it means to be a leader and what it takes to organize a crew of people with the goal of accomplishing something and perhaps something that is not so... Not so easy to tackle. Right, and you know, a great question would be, is Lawrence a great leader so far in this part one? He's lied, he's killed, but he's gotten a group of people to do everything that he's asked them to do. 
Uh, I mean, it, it, this is I would easily recommend this to anyone who's a coach, anyone who's a teacher, anyone who runs any kind of team or crew of people to watch and ask some questions uh, for themselves and, and each other about uh, about what they're doing because I just think there's so many good little moments in this, and it's one of the reasons that it's you know it's one of my favorite movies too. Is you know as someone who's who is a coach, you coach a little bit too. Right. I mean, Marty, you've you've have to, you're in charge of large groups of people and keeping them organized and whatnot. And you're all three, a teacher, uh, <laughs> a coach, and a, a business manager. That's right. I think the second part of this conversation, part two of this episode, will go into more deeply the themes and the questions of who is Lawrence Varavia and what, what that entails as the, as the narrative goes. That first cut, I mean, we knew we were talking about it here, the blowing out of the match, one of the most famous cuts in movie history. Artie, talk to me a little bit about that and, and, and what that did for you. Oh, it's, it's fucking unbelievable. It's when, to, you know how hard it is to get that shot of the sun, by the way, rising in a desert in the morning? Like, probably 90% of the time they went to get that shot, there's sand blowing everywhere, it's, the light's kind of wrong because of the clouds or whatever. To cut from the match to that, to even think of that, it's just brilliant. And you go from inside an officer's uh, quarters to the middle of nowhere, and they jump right in. It's the, the epitome of get there, get there late, arrive late, and leave early. You're there with him and Tafas, the guide, in the middle of the desert. To start the movie with such contrast, mm. and then to just, boom, you're in the desert. Yeah. That's the way to do it. And yeah. the, well, the contrast between a match, the, the light coming from a match, and the light coming from the sun right. in the desert, it's like... Yeah, snap of the fingers, we're not in the waiting room anymore. We're not in the lobby anymore. <laughs> yeah. Now we're in the desert. And, it's and that sun's on its way up. Yeah. And it's different, because when, in, in when he's in the basement coloring maps in the Crayola room, he does the match trick where he puts his fingers in the match and puts it out. You expect him to do that and show off to the other officer, but this is different. He's not just doing parlor tricks in a basement. We're going on an adventure. It will be fun, you know? Yeah. So he blows it out, and I was expe fully expecting him to put it out with his fingers. It's going It's different this time, though. That's a good point, too, is we get the two, the two matches and the two unlighting of the matches... The, and and one is with the fingers, and now we're blowing it out, and boom, here we are. That's a good, right. that's a good, a good point there, already. Lawrence and and, and Tafas's guide here are now about to to start this start this journey here through the desert. The drinking of the water and the no, I'll I'll drink when you drink. Here we now we're getting Lawrence is he's so he's so fixated on the fact that this is going to be fun and everything is going to work. Gonna, there's a naivety to the character there where just because. He thinks it and feels it. It's going to happen. This is going to kind of be abruptly turned on his head here as we meet Omar Sharif in, in another one of the most famous scenes of the movie. Already, I'll kick that off to you in a second about, uh, about the, the mirage scene and, and the writing in that way. But Lawrence, in this moment, in this, in this little period of the movie here, he's thinking because he knows one Bedou, he's Bedou, and he knows everything there is about Bedou. And when the whole well scene goes down... That's why he's so shook to the core is because he's already figured out this little vacation that he's on and that he knows everything there is to know about the desert. And if he just, if he just drinks water at the same time as, as uh, the Bedou, he'll be, he'll be good to go. And that gets turned on his head up. So Artie, we'll talk about the introduction here to, uh, to Omar Sharif. Oh, it's amazing. The shot, it's, this is the shot that, that does it for me. This is my favorite shot of the heat and nothingness. And you see Tafas kind of look like, oh, like they're, they, they freeze because they see something. And then they show you what they're looking at. And it's like, how the hell do they see anything? But there's that 
long take in the deep focus. Mm. You see this speck and you have to squint and then they cut away and they cut back and it gets a little bigger and they keep doing this. Then he runs for the gun just gets his head blown off by Marksman Ali over here. <laughs> and and then uh, the whole dialogue that ensues afterwards. It's yeah, just There is just such great tension in that moment because he drops the bag back into the water. So you know it's not a good thing he's seeing. And he and the more and more he's looking into the distance, the more serious he's getting. And so you know this person coming, it's not going to be good for him and, may, and possibly for Lawrence as well. Truly one of the greatest character introductions of all time there. And, and I think that even people who don't totally dig this movie and, and that have watched it and, and it's been kind of an... This, the type of experience that didn't pull them in the whole way or didn't engage them for the full almost four hours. Or even if it's one that they're just like, okay, it was or was, I'm not going back. I think you could isolate this moment of the movie and everyone would pretty much agree, ooh, I was in it at that time. There's, there's something going on here that's real special. It's, this movie is kind of like being in the desert where there's, you're, you're pumped full of powerful events or dialogue, as it may be. And then there's emptiness, there's silence, there's just vast shots and, and, and wandering or him pondering in the desert. It's all this emptiness filled, and then in the middle there's powerful dialogue. Yeah, and, and listen, the making of this movie isn't, it can't ever go overstated about what it took to put this thing together. And you listen to the, you listen to the editors talk, you listen to, the, uh, to anyone on the crew talk. I mean, I, I remember watching the, the making of this one member of the crew said, it goes, yeah, you see all these wonderful landscapes and all these, these, these carefully drawn out shots and moments. We had to, we had to scout all those locations. We had to find, so there were many times where we're going through the desert and there's just nothing but just, just miles and miles of, of nothing. And there's nothing really to shoot here. And finding those little spots to, to, to put together those memorable shots that everybody looks back at Lawrence Arabia was not an easy process. And I don't think there was anything about this movie that was easy. It was an over 200, 200 days out there of filming, and we're talking about 127 degrees of weather. I mean, it's this was something. This was something that that, that took a toll on everyone involved. I mean, you can imagine they probably wouldn't make it today. <laughs> they would. Nobody yeah. would pay money for it. Yeah. Nobody would give a budget for this film of this nature now. Well, what did Spielberg say about it? He said he pretty much said that you couldn't make this today. It would cost about 285 million dollars. That's with no CGI, film. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's all the money goes to CGI. But then now. he said, "But you can't CGI it either, because then you take away from that realism and that scope. That's so great." So, yeah, one of a kind, never to be done again. I was listening to. I hate. To, I hate hearing that. I don't want it to be done again. I want someone to do it. To yeah. take the to take the effort and the time and make a movie with Christopher Nolan just like this. Do it, no CGI. Yeah, but we need, <laughs> okay. But we need a, a story too, like a uh, you know some substance. Yeah, I was listening to to Peter O'Toole talk about getting the role and, and meeting with David Lean for the first time, and and one of the things he said is that that David Lean said to him was, "We're about to go on an adventure of a lifetime," and he said that any any time throughout his life where he was a little depressed or a little down or things in his career weren't exactly happening the way he wanted them to. He always go back to that moment of the conversation right before he went on this life-changing journey that turned Peter O'Toole into who Peter O'Toole is today. And he just puts himself in, in that moment and it, it changes his perspective and, and, and lightens up his day and whatnot. And what a cool, what a cool concept to, to think about, about in capturing that one moment that changed your life and what the person said to you in that moment. Speaking of O'Toole, I have a question for you guys. Sure. His his naivety and his playfulness and his 
attitude that doesn't ever correspond with the seriousness of the situation. Well, it does sometimes, but for the most part, his, his nonchalantness. Does it remind you of, of Christopher Waltz's character in Inglorious Bastards? Interesting. Where he's just, like, having fun with the situation. Meanwhile, this is a horrific situation. Like, <laughs> everyone calls it a shit storm. Like, it's awful. You're in the middle of hell, the desert. And he's just like, oh, this is, I love it out here. That like, little, it's... That little tinge of sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I think, I, I see Waltz in this. Like, he got inspired by the playfulness of... It's oh, funny well, you say that because I wrote down who he does remind me of. It's another great character from one of the the greatest movies of all time, and I'll ask Kieran if he could guess who this carefree... And I saw it when he's out in the desert thinking right before he takes... Um, he says he wants to go take Aquaba, and he, he has a long you know walk through the mm. desert where he's thinking about it, and they roll the rock down, right, to mm-hmm. see, like, are you still alive kind of thing, and he takes this rock up, and he just kind of, like, carelessly is, like, tossing up this rock with his hand in his finger... And if he reminded me exactly of Andy Dufresne. I was going to say, Andy Dufresne with the rock wall. Yeah, I was there with the Jets. Right? I was oh, like, this wow, carefree awesome. yeah. was fucking tossing rocks. on the, the biggest decision of his life. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's it, amazing. It has to be stated, too, here. We can't get through this without this. The influence that this film has had on every relevant filmmaker yeah. today. I, I mean, there, it, there's, it's, it's stated very obviously in the Scorsese and Spielberg and what they did for the restoration of this. Kubrick has has put it out, Peckinpah, Tarantino. I mean, this is, you can't listen to any of these guys talk about film, uh, uh, Ridley Scott. I've heard, it, the, I've heard the Coen brothers say the they Coen go back brothers. and watch this when they like need to feel rejuvenated. Yeah, Spielberg says the same This Strange Love and like uh, The Killing, I think, is the other one. <laughs> yeah, I think Spielberg has said that he watches this in Bridge of the Required before he starts any project. Yes, he did. You know? yeah, so it's, you hear, you can't hear any of these guys talk about film without mentioning Lawrence Arabia in some, in some facet. It has an encyclopedic nature. Mm. Almost biblical. Yeah, well, t- that's funny uh, that you say that, Artie. Uh. This is a film, I was thinking about this this week, and I'll go back and watch this like a devout Christian will read the Bible as, as a film lover. So if there's, a, if there's a little aspect of film that I need a, a refresher, I, I need a, a little extra inspiration on, whether it's the score, whether it's film editing, whether it's uh, just just how the scenery is laid out, whether it's costume design, acting, screenwriting, it's this movie has it all there for you. Every aspect of this is a little something to be an example for someone. I text you when we were doing our viewing at the same time. We were almost at the same point in the movie. And I said, I think it was like nine minutes into the movie. I'm like, the dialogue in this movie is so like concise and wise that it feels biblical and poetic, like a, like a Shakespearean piece. It's like almost, you could tell some lines are perfect. Yeah. They're the perfect line for that, for that scene. So much of that goes to, to Robert Bolton and what he did with this, with this screenplay. He, he, he took it over. Michael Wilson had, had done the original one, and David Lean wasn't thrilled with, with what he saw in that, so Robert Bolton came in and, and really turns this into a poetic affair. And there's, uh, I, I, I can't get enough of this screenplay. I know Steven Spielberg has said it's, it's possibly the greatest screenplay ever to put to film. I mean, I read half of it today. I, I was standing around on my phone while my daughter was doing swimming lessons reading Lawrence of Arabia. Like, I couldn't put it down. I literally couldn't put it down. I hope there's a lifeguard. <laughs> oh, she had a private instructor. You could see why Spielberg loves this film. It's a filmmaker's film because every aspect is so expertly well done. 
Hmm. And yeah. when you pay attention to it, just breathtaking. Yeah, but we're going to be bringing up Steven Spielberg a lot here because he's so involved and in, yeah. in, in, in love with this film and, and had a big part to do with the restoration. It, it becomes so hard for these filmmakers to pretend like they're not directly influenced by Lawrence Gravy. Yeah. The movie accomplished the, the, so much in, in all this that, it, it, like I said in the beginning, it is very much a measuring stick to which all of these people check themselves on. You know, when I think about like O'Toole and his performance, and I was thinking of recasting or MVPs and stuff, I was like, I said, like how do I feel about this? Because he's so... I can't get a, a feel on this Lawrence character. And I realized O'Toole's doing an incredible job at making him three-dimensional, having so many different aspects and having so many things going through his mind that I have no idea where this second half is going to go. And when they go... Who are you? He At the very end. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I can't answer that. He right. can't answer that. Also, like, uh, Faisal says, in whose name do you ride? Right. Yeah, there's good motifs there. The, who he, are like, you? And they just motif. show his face and him, and him contemplating it. He's like, I don't really know. I'm just kind of doing things. Right. Yeah, and, and we are going to attempt to answer that question, or at least our own perspectives of the answer to that question in the second part of this episode, which will be coming at you next week. So that, that's going to be fun when we really tackle The who are you? Yeah, the who are you. Who is Lawrence Arabia? That's right. going to be one of the things that we'll, that we'll hit. And the, fu- the funeral scene, to me, is David Lean's way of, mm. of, of addressing that early on. Instead of saying, based on a true story, or this is, an, uh, fa- this is a factual movie... It starts off with a funeral scene and a writer asking people of everyone's like, yeah, he's awesome, he's a great man, but we never really met him. Yeah. yeah. So like, you wonder about the story that you're about to be told. Like, yeah, this is a wonderful story about a great man, but no one really knows. Yeah, it's funny, that, that opening funeral scene is, is probably one I planned on talking more about when we got to the end of the entire film, because it's so, it bookends this thing so interestingly. And, you know, we should mention, yes, this is based on a real character. It's based on a character that people in the 40s and the 50s knew well, and it was a, a property that people wondered, you know, who's going to make the script? Who's going to do the Lawrence Arabia movie? Not Michael and, Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> Until, yeah, Bill David Lean took it on and uh, dismissed Mr. Wilson. And, you know, I'm already at the end of part one, and the, and the contrast of that and the motorcycle scene, it's like all these things that Lawrence did and the motorcycle is the way that... He went out. It's incredible contrast. Yeah, and Jay is Jay is that you're truly watching this. You're, you're, you watched just the first half of this. You're giving it's us crazy. The I want to watch the second half. Like I, I was waiting till this happened, so I want to go home now and watch the second half. Yes. <laughs> it's it's really morbid too. What happened in real life? Like he really mm-hmm. died on a motorcycle, swerving out of the way of two kids. But he died of like massive brain injuries, like oh, a week yeah, weeks later. I, I know there was because he was uh, such a, a a famous character. There were conspiracy theories that tied back to JFK, but just conspiracy theories of oh no, did he did he actually die that way, or did he did he not die that way? I mean, there was a mystery to the character, to the real life figure, which lends towards such an opportunity for a screenplay. Right? Because let's no, you could get bogged down in the history and the. And the, what happened out in the desert specifically, and we can tell a you know make it like Patton, where we're going through the the battles and with it, or we can tell the story about a character and what makes someone who makes the decision to engage themselves in this sort of journey, and then you can add things like people getting sucked up by quicksand and whatnot. Like that doesn't that's not. But we talk about this all the time. Best picture guesses. Do you want the facts or do you want the great story? 
Right. And, you know, uh, Jay, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you the question because I know you're, you're a creative writer and, and someone who's puts together stories yourself. Do you want what happened or do you want kind of a, 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 as a, as a film lover too? You want to take liberties. The only thing that bothers me is if you tell me it's 100% true, it should be 100% true. But Do they never it? say that in this movie, right? Yeah. They never say based on a true story. They say based on the book, and they go from there. And the, the, the liberties that they take, I feel like, are essential for this to have been such a great movie. It needed to be a great character study, and that's you, what they did. Do you have a problem with Fargo? No. Well, that's just that's just a, a, a tactic. Like, hey, this is all true. It's good. Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the same thing. I, dude, the beginning of Fargo is, like, the most sincere way of saying this is the <laughs> True truest story. way we can tell you this story. <laughs> right. And then they just give you bullshit. Like, yeah, that, well, that's, that's just that's Yeah, that's just sarcasm. That's not fair. Yeah, you're right. Like, um, back then, there was no internet to look it up, either. You're, you're just <laughs> like, you got a real... I mean, do you know how many people I told recently that that's not a true story? Yeah. And they're like... Wait, why didn't they pull out their phone and look it up? There's a lot of questions as to how true the actual autobiography of Seven Pillsmanism is in, in addition to that. Because it's, it's an autobiography. It's, it's someone's telling of, of, of what their own life was. So I think there's a lot, of, a lot of people who question the facts in that one, too. And I think it should be said about the history, too, is that there was a version of this script where there was going to be a retelling of this very specific conflict of World War I, which is a little bit obscure in, in the context of world history to begin with. Uh, I think when everyone thinks of World War I, they think of the trench warfare. What, what went on in, in, in Sam Mendes' 1917, Jay, I know it's one, one of your faves. Mm -hmm. But this Middle East conflict with the Turks is like a little bit. Uh, How like, could like, anyone know? We're yeah, in the middle just, of nowhere. We just, and we just and 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 world history spends so much time on, on World War Two. Also, that World War One in itself gets a little forgotten. I mean, how many World War Two films are there compared to World War One films? I mean, it's it's not even close. So I do think the decision to step away from the history and be like, not only are we are 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 we not going to assume that you know about we're just you just know you don't and we're going to tell the story of Lawrence and you're going to follow him and it's about him if you want to read up on the history you're going to get some great stuff about that too but it's really not important but just follow the characters follow the conflicts the best you can and you'll be all right I, we, I think we got to talk about the the introduction here of, of Omar Sharif we talked about him coming in here but let's talk about his character this is one hell of a performance I mean it, they, they plucked him out of relative obscurity here. I mean, he was an actor in, in his region. He's an Egyptian actor. And they were going to... We're going we're gonna to talk about Sir Alec Guinness and, and some of the maybe questionable things w with his casting that probably wouldn't happen in 2021. I, I, do, I do like his performance within what it is. We'll, we'll get to that. But th sure, this was supposed that. to be a French actor or German actor and then someone was like, you know, let's look at let's look at some people from the Middle East and see if they're and they called them up and they were like, well, you know, we got a small part for you here in this one. But, you know, and he goes, oh, a small part. I'm, I'm really happy doing what I'm doing here. I, I live a comfortable life. He goes, but <laughs> poor guy. But, you know, I recently watched Bridge in the River Kwai and was like, you know, it's an opportunity to meet David Lean. I don't really think I can give it. I can pass that up, right? I gotta, I gotta just take it and go. If it's a small role, whatever. I mean, I could stay in my comfort zone, or I could, you know, hop on a plane and go. Yeah. What the hell does David Lean define as a small role? What well, is his agent? His oh. agent saying, you know, hey, this, this is going to be a small role for you. Here he goes. David Lean falls in love with him, and Oscar nomination. 
the star of Dr. Zhivago right after this. I mean, talk about making taking a leap to change your life. I mean, yeah. you go from you go from being like a like a a soap actor in Egypt to be, <laughs> yeah. to be like, boom, I'm going to the Oscars now. Yeah. You know? Literally the Christopher Waltz path. Guy's ready to give up acting. Man, watching the relationship between these two characters is starting in this moment of hops up the horse, just shot his guy. Lawrence is just is just shook. And he's Hey, you know, what, what, he goes, no, 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 no. You can drink from the well. He can't. He can't. It's my well. He knew that. He knows the rules. He is nothing. The well is everything. And Lawrence is, then Lawrence does his, like, ignorant, you know, so long as the Arabs fight Arab on Arab, they will be a, a little people, or wherever he goes over there. And, and, and that statement itself gets taken to test throughout the whole movie from multiple different characters. This exchange is just is just all time great. It's amazing, and it's in the screenplay when he addresses Lawrence of Arabia for the first time, and he says, "Oh, you are free to drink from this well." It says in in parentheses, politely. I love that. Like it lets it lets the reader know, like he's being very courteous to this guy. He's like, "Yeah, but but that he knew what he was doing. He should not have drank out of this well." It's. Uh, it's so good. Uh, I, I love, I, I, I love Peter Ruppel's posture in this. It's it's that defensive, like a, like a like an angry cat, like you know, he's just he's re- he's ready to strike if he has to. Is is this uh, is this your gun? His? Is this your cup? Mine. In this scene, Lawrence puts on this big uh, "I'm not afraid of you" bit, and he's playing kind of hard to get. Sheriff Ali is trying to be very cordial and nice, and Lawrence wants nothing to do with it. Asks him his name. He won't tell him his name. Well, he just killed his friend. He just shot his one friend in the head. (laughs) And I I think you mentioned before, he he knows his Bedou guide, and so now he thinks he's Bedou himself kind of thing. He says to Sheriff Ali, he was my friend. So we're immediately seeing that he's already taken to these people and that he's interested in meeting more and kind of being immersed in this culture already. Yeah. And uh, Ali's trying to be nice and trying to say all these nice things about him, and Lawrence wants nothing to do with it, has, wants nothing um, of it, and so he keeps insulting him back and keeps being mean to him. He won't even accept a ride from him or anything like that. I remember the first time I saw this scene over a decade ago, and I remember just my shoulders perking up and posturing just the way that Peter O'Toole's were, where it's just, you just shot him, dude. What are we doing here? Like, this like, you're like, yeah. this guy dressed in black, trotting in on his camel, shooting people in the head. Like, yeah. like yeah. come on, yeah. dude, you're just going to casually sip out of the well. Yeah. He won't even drink out of his cup. Yeah. Uh, he only drink out of the cup if it's Peter's. He's yeah. like, oh, whose cup is this, yours? Then I'll use it. I'm not touching his cup. Yeah. Like, well, what's funny is at, when, jumping ahead, but this ties into this, when, Lawrence returns with Gassim. He, he people are offering him water, and he doesn't take it. He waits for Sharif Ali to come up to him with his water jug, and he takes his water. Oh, cool! I missed that. Yes, he we refuses water from everyone handing him water. He wait, and Sharif Ali the whole time is slowly walking with his water, and he takes his water. There's an, another great moment of character building here, where. Lawrence says, no, I'll find my way myself. I have my military compass, and I'll be just fine. You know, whoops, swipes it away. Like, uh, yeah, like, I love like, that. Like, like, well, what are you going to do now, bro? Huh? <laughs> like, uh, well, you'd be a thief. We get to see him be out in the middle of the desert being like, you know what? I've lost my guide, but I will find my way. 
I'll figure out where I have to go. I'll, I'll sing songs into the echoing mountains until I find... I'm the man who wrote the bank at Monte Carlo. No, no, no. It's amazing, dude. The landscapes of this movie just crush me, bro. It's a, it's a, so. It, it, dude, Talk about a road trip movie, like yeah. <laughs> and if you, you know, if you, if you catch, if you catch me on the on the street and say, "What's your what's your favorite shots of Lawrence Arabia?" Obviously, the first places I'll always go would be the match and the and uh, Omar Sharif's introduction, riding mm-hmm. into the mist. Mine but, might be oh mine God. might be the boat and the canal. Oh man, another another that one, great I'm like, What am I one. looking at? Right, another now. great one. But like, dude. In watching this time around, so many moments where I'm like, wow, this forgotten little shot here would be the best shot in most movies that you'd see. And um, man, watching, I, I, got the, I got the Blu-ray uh, UHD 4K for this. I get the player, I get the whole set. I'm like, I'm doing this whole thing right. Plasma screen. Yeah, the whole, I'm doing, doing it all right. And I got to quote a, a, our buddy Adam over at 1001 and, and Below Freezing over there. I recorded... Uh, an episode on of 1001 on Lawrence Arabia. You can go check that on the below freezing feed. But one of the things he said in that, because I had not seen the 4K at that point, but he watched it and he goes, Lawrence Arabia on 4K is sumptuous. You can taste it right off the screen. Oh, and when he said that, I'm like, God, I got to get a 4K. Right. I got <laughs> to get through this right. And my, my God, is he right? I mean, it's just, it's something else. It, it looks like something that was that was recorded last week. Just, oh, you know, not let alone the 60s. Oh. The cinematography, I, I was watching it. I was like, the cinematography is top three of all time. And the other two don't even count. I was like trying to think of other movies that were so good like this as far as framing and shots and scope and nature and I was blanking as I'm watching the film like I can't think of anything that comes close to this. Every shot is so brilliant. Every shot. Bridge on the River Kwai is another one like that mm-hmm. where every shot is super thoughtful like the depth and the character placement. David Lean creates a meticulous world for you to live in while you're watching this film and there's no... There are no distractions with what you're taking in. You're getting every blade. You of need grass. it all. You're getting every morsel of sand. You know the the wind. I mean, I already mentioned at one point just the the wind blowing the sand around, and it, it, there's just there's so much of it. And you know, we'll talk about it at the, at the end of this conversation, the part one conversation. We'll talk about some of the Oscars that it was up for. But I, I mentioned this in my conversation with, with Adam that I mentioned before. Is I think you could make the case that every Oscar that this was that this won for. And even some of the ones that it, that it lost for would be on the Mount Rushmore of its Oscar category. You know, whether it's picture director, cinematography, editing, sound. The sound in this movie. So oh, da- my God. Da- David Lean does this in Bridge on the River Kwai, too. He starts off the movie showing off the sound. <laughs> he shows off how good he is. With with the, bird. And the train fly, and the train coming through the forest and then the whistling mm. yeah. off in the distance getting closer. It's oh and, and the little trick they do in this one too is where they the sound for the next scene appears before the cut to the next scene. I think there's one shot with the trolley where you hear you, you're still zooming in at this you hear the trolley and then you see the trolley. Yep. There's a bunch of little moments of that. And V Coates the, the editing job she did in this was was just so next level, and and yes, David Lean, and we we talked about this in the in the Bridge of the Required episode. He started as an editor first, so when he's directing a film, he's seeing the cuts and he's seeing the edits, and and that helps. That goes such a long way in in a vision. We're, we're going to be introduced here to Prince Faisal, and I, I think we got to talk a little bit, and I'm sure this will come up in the in the second half of this uh, of this two part episode too. Sir Alec Guinness is he's cast here as a Middle Eastern guy here. We got a little bit of the a touch of the brown face. 
uh, not great. How how movies are made today and how inclusion is is set up today is we obviously wouldn't see this anymore. I do think there's a couple things working here, and I don't want to. I'd rather just talk about the performance. I'm fine than, with that. Yeah, Ben Hur. We talked about Hugh Griffith, and there's there, that was a little <laughs> more over the top. And yeah. our buddy Adam over there, who's an acting coach, and we're gonna I'm gonna play a little clip of him a little later talking about about Lawrence's performance. But one of the things that he mentioned in one of in one of his recent episodes that he recorded and, and kind of touched a little bit when we were talking, Lawrence, is being a character versus being a character. And when you're a character doing something that's not acceptable, because the brown face in today's climate is just not cool anyway. But if you're doing that on top of being a character, which I think Hugh Griffith kind of was, mm-hmm. then it's like, what are we doing here? You're it's going out of your way to be insulting. Yeah. Where I do think that... Alec Guinness attempted for a transformative role. I want to say, uh, so I read the screenplay. Mm-hmm. I will bring that up several times. Let's yeah. <laughs> just say, hey, keep going. You, you deserve credit for that. Alec Guinness in this scene has glassy eyes the whole time. Mm. It says in the screenplay, after like three lines of dialogue, they have guns, they have artillery, like we've never seen this kind of machinery. My people, they're not used to machines. It says he becomes emotional. Mm. And it doesn't, like, he's emotional the rest of the conversation. He has glassy eyes because this jerks his heart. Like, Dude, and I gotta say... And this is some of the best it, dialogue I've ever seen in my, my life. It, it, in the tent? Yeah, in the yeah, tent. It's incredible. And this this character shook me this time around. And and his... Man, I, I, I just... There was an emotion there that was palpable already. And it's cool to see that, that that was on page. I, I, it's you know, in there. And, and the... The performance, and again, we're gonna we're with this section of the conversation. We're gonna talk about the actual performance we saw, and you know it needs to be said that Sir Alec Guinness is in just about every David Lee movie. Should he have been cast as a British officer in this movie? Probably, and not a, a Middle Eastern. But this is where he was, and we're just gonna talk about the performance that he gave. There is such an emotional core to that character, Prince Faisal, and it starts with him on horseback with the stand and fight. Yeah, shoot back at and them. You see how passionate this man is and how great of a leader he is and how little it matters because he doesn't have the technology capable of winning. And I and the pain in his face is knowing that he is a great leader and he is capable of doing it if there's an even playing field, but there's not. There's plane shooting in and it's a disaster. And now he's put in a situation where he has to compromise. Kieran, are we gonna? Can I get into something with you, being our resident um, technology? Yeah, all right, here. let's do it. I love this. Not that I don't think this. that you will have any. Um, I don't think that you will have anything to nitpick. But as I was watching this for the third time, this part one, this relationship between these man-made technology of guns, ammunition, the railway, the Suez Canal, artillery. The way that they're so revered in this movie and the way that everybody wants guns, right? The prince says Britain is great because it has guns. Every time they ask for something, it's they want guns and artillery. The Suez Canal is the most protected thing and the most important thing to Britain in this entire thing. The railway, the Suez Canal is the most important thing for the British and they protect this thing. And these man-made technologies are, have this great dichotomy with just this human will. Mm-hmm. Just human achievements and human desire and the things that Lawrence is doing 
he's doing on camels, not on not on a car, not in a car or in a railway. They even cross over the railway at the very beginning to cross this great journey across the desert. They go across the railway, they step over it, and then it's just the desert. And we're left with the things that you can do with these violent technologies and with these, you know, just man-made man-made technologies. And we're also seeing what man can do when he just has a will and a way and he would just do nothing um, until he gets what he wants. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting into a precipice of world history where technology is changing how wars are fought. And that's and so, what they're and, addressing in this, in right, the yeah, and, and, so, and, and that shot of, that shot of Prince Faisal with the sword in the air, stand and fight in this, in this this fruitless. What are you gonna attempt? throw a sword at the yeah, plane shooting you? Like, come on. And you see how defeated he is in the tent later, where you know he's saying, "I gotta, I have to just, I just have to yield to these British officers and let them do it the way it is." And it's it's Lawrence's vision that saves him and saves his passion. And, and you think about Lawrence's greatest achievement, which was the taking of Aquaba. How does he do it? He does it because he outsmarts these guns that can only face toward the sea. The greatest shot for me in the entire movie is when they all infiltrate Aquaba, the horses, right? It's the shot from this rooftop watching the horses come in and Amazing. just take everything. And then it, where does it land? It pans it to a gun that can't be used. That's what useless. the fuck are we going to shoot at? Yeah, the, uh, the ocean? Because the, the human will outsmarted and out did and this, this technology. Yeah. This is why David Lean is so fucking good. <laughs> and just let's not, let's not brush over the fact that a piece of technology that is that is intense enough to scare away the British Navy. That's yeah, how intense. It's, like, like, it's not just like a like a paper cutout, like in Home Alone. Like I, I like, love no, it is keeping the Navy away here. And yet, if you if you approach it the right way, it's useless. But I love the conversation. He's like, the guns face the water. He's like, that's because no one can attack from the land. This isn't going to happen. Like this is yeah. impossible. He's like, they know no one can attack from the land. And he's, he can't handle that. Right, he needs to was, go. And the prince was about to go. His, his thing was, get the Navy and let's go like, like two rams. Let's go against their he guns. He didn't even consider it. the Navy's guns to go against their guns. And Lawrence was like, I got a better idea that nobody's going to believe. So I love... Alright, this is something I'm working on on the fly here. Okay. I love when they bring up biblical references... And Lawrence... Yeah, the Koran. We're talking the Koran. The Koran, yeah. but also... He says, we're going to need a miracle. Mm. Like, Peter O'Toole doesn't do miracles. He's like, what's the cleverest thing I can yeah. think of? And he thinks of something basically impossible that no one would expect. Yeah. There's another line we'll get to later with Auda and, and Moses. Don't mm. let me forget that. Mm. But it's... it's uh, there. Uh, I love... Oh, yeah. whenever, I, have that, I have that down too, Artie. And the couple on that how the first half of this movie does a, a ton of Old Testament illusions, where the second half does New Testament illusions. Dude. Very, very dude, fascinating. It is super biblical. But also one thing about in the tent. Lawrence, he's like, I want to hear your opinion. And Brighton's like, dude, I don't want to hear, no, we don't want him to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Lawrence gives his opinion, and, and Faisal goes, he's a young man, he's passionate, but that's why wise men make decisions. My children, he my goes, children should talk when they should listen. They should like, talk when they should be listening. I apologize. <laughs> I have a soft spot for my children. As a result, 
they talk when they should listen. <laughs> That's one of the best lines we in got, movie history. Throughout the, Marlon Brando was the original man pegged to play Lawrence Arabia. Well, uh, no, but that would I, have been where are you movie. posting the lines in the desert? Like, where is he reading off of? Like, where, 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 are, you, where are you holding up the cue card? All like, right, we got to reset the scene. The, uh, Mr. Brando's paper flew into the horizon. He's not even allowed in Tunisia or wherever they filmed this. He's, he's got tax issues. But, uh, but Faisal goes, wise men make this decisions i know you're right mm. brighton yeah. i have to do what you say he goes you speak aggressive yeah. but you're right i know you're right this tent scene is the scene the one scene of the movie that always gets my attention to a pin drop and i'm every time i hear the dialogue i'm, I'm sucked in and every time there's a different line that that i'm just wrapped up in this time around it was this time around it was it was prince faisal talking about his father and his reverence for his father. And, oh, how I long to be in those gardens again. But now is not the time for dreaming. First there's fighting. I, I, I just, man, it's so good. And let's talk daddy issues here. Because there's big Lawrence daddy issues. We learn, uh, we learn a little later about him, you know, basically being a bastard child. I mean, his, his, fa his father and my mother are not married. And, you know, I have a different... Oh, that name convo is awesome. It's like, I do not understand. Yeah, and, and just, again, huge character building. And, and the character building that goes on in this thing without exposition needs to needs to be emphasized. I mean, Artie, you talked in the very beginning about uh, about those little exchanges that, that oh, he has dude, with the this you is... know, looking with disapproval and just the you know he he can have an exchange with the guy in the map room about the the, the Jay, your quote of the movie the 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 trick is not caring. You know, you learn so much about the character just with how he interacts with a peer in the room. Yes, totally. It's next level script writing. It, it's next level script writing. In the in the tent, the guy who reads the prayers in the script, his name's the reciter. So at one point, Brighton calls Lawrence a traitor. And and then Lawrence is like, well, he suggests that he's like, You have have you been to Damascus? He's like, Who do you like who are you answering orders from? And the reciter goes, In this tent, Prince Faisal. And Lawrence knows that already. We're in his tent. He's the guy in charge right now. Yeah. So I, the the awareness of the the culture that Lawrence displays is is dude. This is writing at the nth degree. Like we're talking. Gotta throw a quick anecdote out from that exact scene that you're talking about there. When that old old man has to read from the Quran and doing that, apparently they had to do that scene so many times in a row because the other guys couldn't stop laughing. So, yeah, yeah, uh, what's funny? Peter O'Toole. Well, because the old guy was so nervous, because he's the, the Quran. David Lean emphasized that the Quran has to be read in specific, and it's a lot of the moon shineth and this, yeah. but and it has to be read specifically. And the old guy was so nervous that he kept like botching it. And and as Omar Sharif tells the story, he says, you know, once he got the giggles, you can't get rid of the giggles. <laughs> and, and me and and Peter O'Toole and 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 Quail just we, we just. We just couldn't. We could end. Alec Guinness had no time of day for it. Was just as impatient as it gets. Says, we need to get through this scene. How dare you laugh when we're, you know? Yeah. And they just and they just couldn't stop. And they just looked at me getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And they they finally got it. They finally did it without with straight face going in. And as the scene ended, Sir Alec Guinness bursts out in a cackle. Ha! <laughs> so like, and then ruining the doing the take. It's like now I'm doing it on my turn, and we all just fucking lost it and like and, and turned oh, over. Awesome. So it's good. And and 
I think little things like that add to the emotionality of a scene. Of where course. it's just like, it's like we know that this is this kind of thing that we're all having a hard time grabbing. And uh, again, I read the screenplays. So <laughs> <laughs> in this in this scene, there's several points where. Um, when when Lawrence speaks to Faisal, it says Ali is pleased but confused mm. because Sharif Ali is like, why is he saying this? Like, I want to hear this too, but I, why is he saying this? So it's it, it plays so well into his character, Ali. So I think this might be a good time to get into my scene of the movie. What do you think? Is it the tent scene? <laughs> uh, I love I love no no Arab likes the desert. It's like, we like green trees and, and green grass and pastures. Yeah. So I think this might be a good time to get into my scene of the movie. What do you think it, it might be? Oh, I think you're pitching a tent. <laughs> <laughs> so when you try, I was trying to figure out Lawrence and, you know, when is it that he all of a sudden snaps, in my opinion, right? And for me, it's not the scene in the, in the tent, but the scene in the tent, he goes from the very beginning of the movie from his superiors to being looked down on, thought a fool, told to shut up twice by General Murray. And they go out of his way, and they go out of their way, Murray and, and uh, Dryden, to say, he will not be giving military advice. Don't worry about that. Correct. <laughs> then he meets Brighton, who tells him to shut up in the meeting, don't talk. Um, he's told, you know, he's useless. He's told, you're the kind of creature I can't stand. This is his superiors telling him this. I, I got, I got, to, I don't want to cut you off. I'll give it right back to you, but... Anthony Quayle in this scene is really great, and I don't I don't love how the character ends up by the end of the film. But the first half, he's really on fire. I mean, dreaming won't get you to Damascus. Discipline will. Oh, he's amazing. Like he's, he plays the stuffy, out of touch British person so well. It's like that. Like life outside of London is just it's so we have it all figured out. Yeah. It's like okay, but no. <laughs> He's like, that's because you have a navy. But yeah. Sorry, Jim, And he's but... trying very hard to negotiate. He's like not taking any no for an answer kind of thing. I love how insulting he is, too. Yes. He's like, it makes me upset when you talk like that. <laughs> British interests and Arab interests should be aligned. Yeah, yeah. It's like, all right. Yeah, uh, man. Uh, so, I, but he's like, maybe. There's something so great about, about Prince Faisal holding Lawrence back and... You know, Quail getting shot out of the oh, thing, like, looking back. Yeah, he's like the uh, he's like the teacher holding back the student after yeah. class. But my point. But is... But when the teacher's pets outside the office, like, what's, I, I, what's, I, I, what's he saying to him? They, right. that's, a, that's a that's a B minus student. <laughs> but uh, my point is that he's so disrespected by his superiors that when he meets the prince, the prince is the first one in this movie that says, "What do you have to say?" Mm. They're telling him, "Shut up! You're the kind of creature I can't stand." The prince is like, "No, let him talk." And I think this is the moment when Lawrence is like, okay, here's my, here's my chance. Yeah. To, I have a voice with this person. And, and that's when he kind of starts making decisions, military decisions. Yeah. When he's because, allowed to. And that connection that he makes about how, well, the British are powerful because of their name. It's like, well. They go where they want. They strike where they want. Yeah, because they're the, but the, England is a small island. They took, they took ownership of the sea because that was their best chance to be, be powerful. And he makes the connection that the Arab army knows the desert. That's their ocean. That's their sea. And uh, I, I have it here as, I mean, and listen, to me it's impossible to pick a quote of the movie here. Like, it, there's just so many I would quotes. just read you the, the whole script straight through. Just, it's just an assembly of quotes. But I have, um, I have this one here in this spot here. The desert is an ocean in which no ore is ever dipped. And on this ocean, the Bedou go where they please, and they strike where they please. This is the way the Bedou have always fought, 
fall back on Yenbo, and the Arab Rising becomes one poor unit in the British Army. Talk about, like, do you want to... Do you want to lean in on your strengths, or do you want to try to turn your weakness into a strength? And honestly, when it comes to warfare, go with what you're good at. And Faisal is so wise, he knows they need a miracle. So he lets him take 50 people, but he also goes, we're retreating. Yeah, We're well, going to be that little unit. We're going to be yes. that little unit. But, but yeah. if you make it, great, awesome, yeah. this is wonderful. Yeah, and, and really and wise. When he holds him back, the other quote I just goes it. Because it's just kind of this movie is kind is kind of a, a a conundrum. It's like the the it, there's no one way to define. It's an identity crisis. Yeah, there's no, it is. It's a major question of identity. There's no one way to define this movie. But I love the line from Faisal: "No man needs nothing." Oh yeah, the desert has uh, nothing. nothing. No man needs. No man that. needs nothing. And it's like, well, Lawrence is a man who needs a little nothing in his life. Right. Um. Great. Great. Great stuff there. Um, Lawrence's face when he leaves this tent, this oh, this God, stare in the scowl, uh, you just see it, like I looked at Peter O'Toole's face and I'm like, this is good and bad at the same time. I don't know what it he's works. thinking right it now. It works, right? But that's yeah. that's it. Right. It works. Yeah. And talk about amazing shots in a movie that go under glorified, just because there's so many more oh, famous shots. Because there's him, so many wide shots, the close shots go unnoticed. walking directly down the center of the screen, out toward the hills, with the, the score kicking back in, as if you see the soundtrack, that's the score's entitled Miracle. It's that low baritone into this pensive build-up. And we see, the, and, and the wind, the sound, the sound design in that, with the creaking of the tent in the conversation leading up to this, and now the wind mixed with the score. And now we're going to get this kind of version of a montage where he's thinking, he spends the night in the desert, comes out. You, uh, you referenced this a little before, Jay, with the two, the two guides. And, and they call him Lord the whole time. It's very Jesus, 40 days in the desert. Yeah, the old rock. And, rock and it's it, like the Bible to, was an influence for this movie. <laughs> you know? Like, um, he comes to the, to the moment, Aqaba by land. Aqaba by land. And, and supposedly... There was a moment in that where Robert Bolt wanted him to squeeze the rock he was holding and have blood come from his hand, and David Lean squashed it because he thought it'd be too heavy-handed and too little too forceful with what he wanted it to to be, you know. Because the scene itself is a little bit kind of like this is he's thinking that's going to come to him. And that shows humanity. You kind of like the God image of. Uh... He looks back and goes, "God, it was wrong though." That oh, would, really? One amazing shot, wow, <laughs> blood dripping from his hand. But I, I do like how it's done, and then that's an amazing, uh, amazing shot there. And by the way, by by his admission, day for night. To shout out Grant Z, there it is. Day for night stuff there. That 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 scene of him walking off the desert was a day for night. So journeying into the sun's anvil, another one, man. Where we want to talk about just. Shots where, and, and a lot of what we talked about are specific shots. I was watching this last night just like, oh, I mean, this looks as, as good as anything that has come out in the last 10 years. When we go back to our friend who got left behind. Gassim. Gassim, where it's him walking. That cut of the, the white, like, like cracked. He's wandering through hell, basically. Oh, my God. Yeah. That white. That, the that, dust blowing. Oh, just. It's just so dry and so, and he's just like, okay, I'm fucked. Here we go. <laughs> here's the where he's walking. Up. This is my bus. Gotta catch up. Gotta catch up. Um, but man, the exchange between uh, the two, the exchange between Sharif Ali and, and and Lawrence going back, man, I, it's so easy to just kind of sit here and talk about 
oh, this movie's so great, this movie's so great, this movie's so great. Wasn't that great? Wasn't that great? Wasn't that awesome? But, like, think about how that scene could have been done or is so often done in other movies where it's so over-the-top and so screenplay-y. Like, Peter O'Toole, in that moment, is like, fuck that, I'm going back. And Sharif Ali's like, fuck that, you're not abandoning He's us like, here. He's like, why, to die with Kasim? And it's like, yeah, I mean, great. I don't really care if you die, but... I need you here. I'm not going to do this. This is your plan. This yeah. is your project. Why you're going to just you're going to go back there and, and dry up with him? And now I'm stuck with this this crackpot idea that we yeah. have. He's like, you brought like, us here with your arrogant conceit, and you're yeah. just going to leave us. And, and you're going to leave us in there. And, and it's it's this the argument between the two of them is like they're both so passionate and so locked in, and based on their own morals and scruples, they're right. They're right. And if you want to if you want to lean on the pragmatic nature of it. You have to go with with Sharif Ali, and if you want to deal with the passion and and the the heart of, of brotherhood and and we're all in this together, then you have to go with with Lawrence. Right. And what a what a conflict! What a what an amazing moment! And when Lawrence shows back up, everyone's bombarding him with their water sacks, and he won't drink from them. Yeah. He waits for Ali. To come with his water sack. Who he, he slowly walks up. He carries it. He's he's gr- his grin is growing. Ali, as he gets closer to to Lawrence, he's like, "You fucking did it!" Like I had no faith. Now, and and the other thing I love about this too is talking about something being too screenplay-y and mm-hmm. too like drop a, a drop a big line. Like when he says, "You know, it's done. It is written," and he says, "Nothing is written." It's said like you could imagine two people arguing, responding to the next guy. Totally. No, nothing is written. Nothing. And I love how later on in the screenplay, people keep bringing up, it's like, oh, this is the nothing is written guy. He's like, he had that quick line ready. Like, they're just like constantly referencing that. I love when he's like, it is written, and he points to his head. He's like, up here. here. And then later on, he's like, some people, nothing is written unless they write it themselves. Yeah. I love that. Now, knowing what you know about... Lawrence and what he does to Gassim a few scenes later. Mm. He risks his life to save him and then he just cold-bloodedly murders yeah. him. Why do you think he goes back to save Gassim? Because this comes right on the heels after Ali sees Lawrence drifting and falling asleep and Ali calls him out and Lawrence says it will never happen again. And for me, it's like Gassim then falls down. Ali says, you can't go back. And it's like Lawrence just needs to prove something to this guy. Mm, it's, yeah, It's that, but also, so the I brought this up before on podcast. The, the Tao Te Ching is a Chinese philosophy from, you know, 4000 BC or whatever. It talks about four different kinds of leaders. Mm. And the most effective kind of leader is the leader that leads through love. So going back for one of your, you know, the, the, the biblical story of the guy who has a million sheep and he loses one, he goes back and gets it. Yeah. It's the same story. It's the same story. He's, he can't leave one behind. He needs to show everyone, I wouldn't leave you behind. I'm going to go get Gassam. Right? Whoever knows the dirt bag. Can I put you on the spot for the benefit of the listener? Go ahead. What are the other three versions of a leader? Okay, so the first leader in the Dao, in the Tao Te Ching, the first level of leadership is is just you lead through love. It's the highest level of leadership. Secondly, is a logical leader who is neutral emotionally and just does the right thing over the wrong thing. The third is the leader who is feared, mm-hmm. and the fourth 
which is the least effective leader, is a leader who is in charge, but no one respects and despises yeah. them. Yeah. That's the four levels of and, leadership. And here we're getting that moment where you have the one versus the two. Right. So, yeah, Sharif Ali's like, no, no, let's be practical here. It's, it ain't happening. It it's pros happen. versus cons for, for leader number two. It's, it's let, well, let's weigh this. And number one is, I, but I love you all. Like, let's lead through that. Marlon Brando is very much the number one kind. You're my friend, you know. Uh, be my friend. Vito Corleone, you're talking about? Vito Corleone yeah, and Godfather. Love, yeah. Be my friend. Like, you're in the opening scene of Godfather, he's like, you don't invite me over, you know. You know, and Michael is a version of three and two. Yes, and in the opening scene of of I mean, when Lawrence has his guide, he's like, "You're my friend. Like, we're friends. Yes. Take this. Yeah. Please take my gun. Like, yeah. I know you didn't do your job yet, but take it. Yeah. Like, and it's we, the and same. We see, we'll we'll see that transformation as as we go on a little bit. Same style um, of leader. Truly, for some, nothing is written unless they write it themselves. Uh, amazing stuff. Amazing section of the movie. We're moving into now where Lawrence gets to to don his his new. Garb here, his new his new outfit where he's his dress. Um, yeah, we yeah, we do we deal with his little uh, his his uh, daddy issues and his name issues about you know who 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 are you and and you know you get, pick, you get to pick El, your own name. Yeah, I'll settle for El Lawrence, and he gets the garb now. Now, so this is another very cool little backstory moment here, and David Lean looks and says, "All right, well, we have you giving." the new garbs, and then you meet oh, Auda Abu Dhabi. Yeah. There's a gap here, and I don't have an answer for it. What do you got for me, Peter? Peter also says, let me, let me think on it. Let me. And he comes back and he goes, all right, I have an, I have an idea about how he, would, how he would process this. And, how, and he's like, all right, well, he goes, he, they, they, they found the perfect landscape where there's this great little hill contrasts with this beautiful blue sky. And the sun making the shadow for yeah. him. Go. And all of that was improv. Wow, really? The him dance with the garb and, and showing off. And one of the most pivotal moments of the movie, which was never in the script, which has become so famous and so amazing, is him pulling the knife and using it as a mirror and checking himself out in the mirror of the knife. And again, all kind of improv. He says, "I'm just thinking." He's like, "How?" He's like, uh, "In this moment, he'd need to see himself." And what do I? How would I do? And he saw the knife. It's perfect. And he looks up and and, oh, and improv. And David Lean was chills floored. He, and then in his mind goes, "We need to have this moment later on in the film where he does this again." And we'll I'll we'll obviously talk about that tomorrow in in, in episode he's two. Not yeah, so when pretty. He's, yeah, well yeah, done. Out yeah, there. <laughs> when the knife when the knife isn't so shiny <laughs> itself. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, so and just an amazing moment, and has become like probably the first gift that comes up when you search like him, you know, dancing in the garbs and looking at the looking at the guards becomes such an iconic moment of this movie. I got to start using that gift more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, amazing stuff though, and the pan to. They just show you. You see a quick shot of Anthony Quinn, and then it cuts to him staring and going, "What the fuck are you doing, bro?" Like, and he's, <laughs> he goes, "He goes as you see, like I'm doing as you see." He's like, yeah. "Are you alone?" And then he fires a gun into the air, and he's like, "Oh, you need to call for help." And then a little son runs up. It's a little boy. Everything is. Don't let him know what your next move is. Yeah. Like every oh everything like, is that every great shot that we talk about. I'm like I gotta get to the mall. And then we listen. I'm like God, I missed one, so I have to go back. To Actually, that's one of the reasons I suggested we have the movie on while we do this episode. <laughs> and we got it on. A there are day. so many shots that 
you you just want to it, talk the, about everything. This one I don't want to skip over is when is when one of his guides is waiting. One of Lawrence's guides is waiting for him on the camel. Oh yeah, falling and, asleep and and sees him sees him coming through and starts surging at him on the camel. He goes, "Oh my God, he's here!" And first of all, you see this. You see first, you see the POV of the camel. Yep. Where it's just this straight shot of running forward, running forward. Then it pulls back. And you see the two camels and the one coming at it, and it does a little wrap around of the other one and then runs for it. What's, I mean, it's like, this is your like choreographing camels at this point. Oh, These it's amazing wild. shots. Like, there, what, like, there's another scene where all the camels are laying down at the same time when they're resting in the Nafud. Mm. And I'm like, he, how did he get them all yeah. to lay down? Like, they're camels. Right. Anthony Quinn, the uh, Abu Abadai introduction here. He comes in hot. He comes in real hot. We have a little showdown with it. What do we? What do you think of um, of Anthony Quinn's performance as a whole here? I thought it was outstanding. I thought it was outstanding. It it could have been. It's a tough vibe to nail, and he kind of nails it. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about Sir Alec Guinness being cast in his role and not being Middle Eastern, and you know we have. Is Anthony have, Quinn well, not Middle Eastern? Anthony Quinn and Jose Ferrar, who we get in, in the other... Well, he is a person of color, though. So, um, you know, he's, he's of Hispanic descent. So, like, it's not... It, it, isn't, it isn't great, it isn't true to that, but at least they're not, like, this white guy from England, you know, as a, like, straight European type of deal. So, um, same with Jose Ferrer, you know. So, again, not great, but, man, the, the other thing we got to say, though, is, like, when these guys are filming, people of the area thought... That Terrell Guinness was Prince Faisal. They thought they were like he was like, oh, Prince Faisal's on set of Lawrence Arabia. Like, oh, Ado Abadai is like these are real people who were like real people at the time in the area. Like they were that convincing. We're wow. like, oh my god, this is. Um, there's a uh, Omar Sharif tells a story of of when Terrell Guinness first met him. He goes, you know, uh, you know what? We, we must chat over tea. We have to talk over tea. Tell me about your story. Tell me about your family. And, and, and he's like, all right. And they just they talk for a couple hours. Because the next day, he, the guy showed up with my accent. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, he just, like, he stole my accent. Like, and he's just speaking exactly as Omar Sharif speaks. It's like, wow. Think about, like, the retention there and the... the, the it's a great job. Oh, it's, it's a great idea as an actor. actor yeah. Yeah. Anthony Quinn, I, I have to shout out. Would we love to do a little wacky Globe nomination stuff? Nominated as lead actor in this one. Who? <laughs> Anthony the Quinn. Golden Globe. <laughs> Globe. He was up for Golden Globe for, for lead actor. There's a bunch of drunks making the award Couple back of, then. Yeah, like, him and on. Peter O'Toole both. Dual, dual leads. Globes being the Globes, but just kind of, hey, all right, let's say, sure, I'll take it. I'll take the nom. Another amazing tent scene. The tent scenes in this movie are just like... Oh, dude. Just, just gangbusters. They're pitching tents all movie. <laughs> Gangbuster. <laughs> Thy mother mated with a scorpion. <laughs> this, come on, the guy's great. Uh, another line I got a shout out to with the, uh, if you work for money, why he's so poor? And he's like, I'm, I'm poor because I'm a river to my people. Right. And they just, Rah! like, uh, awesome stuff. But then, then he lies about how much he gets paid. See, that's the other part of, of this. When, you just, when you're kind of just watching this face value, it's like, all right, he's convincing these guys to cross an uncrossable desert. But that's not all they have to do. They have to cross the desert and then convince these mercenaries to join them. Because right. 50 people is not enough to take. Even with Aqaba's guns pointed to sea, they need a little more. And the idea is, is that if we impress these people by the fact that we just crossed this desert, they'll join us. 
And he learns as he gets there, he needs a little more, and he's like, well, I come on. Come on, think about all the gold they have. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, well, that's, that works for me. He really and it pleases off, him. He yes. shows off his negotiation skills right here. It just They come out and um, just another one of uh, Lawrence's many faces and tricks yeah. as ways to get what he wants. And to, to sway not just a powerful leader, but power, powerful leader who really is run by the almighty dollar like you know and, and those are those are the toughest people to trying to change their minds it's yeah. like no, no 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 i need to be paid this much at this time and he never shows any fear when he's with these great big powerful well he writes him the pay note on the back of the dollars oh yes he's yes. like hey you know we guarantee we're gonna pay you five thousand i'll sign it right now and he yeah. gives it to him and he's these like, are iod okay. yeah, 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 money yeah. 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 this one's for a lamborghini you're gonna want to keep this yeah this one's for all the gold i promise you right you know he's you're gonna so, want to keep this one he's so good at that like let's go there's gold over there hey we went there there's no gold oh I'll get you your gold. Don't worry. I'll be right back. They're like, it for him. They're, yeah. like, they're like shroot bucks in yeah. the office. He's like, oh, I got 10 million shroot bucks coming your way. I like to, I like to picture Lawrence dressed like uh, Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber when he's doing that conversation. You know, the orange top hat, the cane. You know, these are as good as money. When Gassim is committed a crime, mm. we got to touch on this. God, just these little moments of like, we've got to figure it out. This is going to happen for us. And then the gunshot goes off and it's like, Oh, what the fuck's that? good. And he's like, I'm not gonna lose my fucking... He's like, I'm not blowing this over tribe. A bunch of bloody tribes yeah. fighting. And he just decides, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna enact the law. Amazingly delivered line there from Anthony Quinn. He killed. He dies. Oh, but just, amazing. Just so good. And just Simple. storms off the screen. Just, it's biblical. It's like yeah. biblically he's, concise. He has... Anthony Quinn has such command over the lines he was given. He's awesome in this. But when he kills Gassim... Aura goes, what ails the Englishman? Ali goes, that man he killed was the man he brought out of the Nephid. And he's like, ah, I was written then. Better to have left him. Better to have left him. And, And Ali says to him, it was execution. There's no shame in that. You gave life and you took it. The writing is still yours. That is fucking in really intelligent screenplay writing. In, in baseball, we call that the ball don't lie. <laughs> when, when an umpire, someone makes a bad call, and you, you scream and yell, and the guy just gets out anyway, well, the ball don't the, lie. The writing is still yours. <laughs> yeah, but you said the, the, the gunshot from Lawrence. I was No, shot. from from when you hear, he said he was yeah, saying well, the gunshot. Yeah, that's the scene gunshot. Yeah, talk about the, the Lawrence gunshot. I was shocked by how he not just shot um, Gassim, but would not stop shooting him until he was happy with him being dead. Yeah. Obviously, Gassim was rolling yeah, or trying the to pistol. get away, and, and Lawrence, miles away from his ambush, is just firing bullets right into the ground and into Gassim with this just intent of, I have to just finish him off right now. I'm still alive. I'm just very badly burned. Right? So you I shot me. Both my legs. You shot me I directly mean, on the <laughs> ride. I mean, this is just. He's, there's no coming back from this. Yeah. Um, 
And he, he's, he admits later he enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's where it gets a little weird. That's when it's like, because well, at least in this moment, I we don't know, think that gets weird. Well, well, at least we know he's being the number two leader to already quote your, right, he's your, going your system over there that you wrote, it. right? You wrote that system. Well, he, he, the RDB it's system of 5,000 years old. Like, I didn't write it. <laughs> but this is where he knows he has to be a pragmatic. He, he, it's pros versus cons. He's now. being very yeah. Machiavellian. And yeah. well, it just gives you know. Will you be satisfied if this happens? Will you be satisfied if this happens? Then I will do it. Then, right. then here we go. I'm the man that does it. I'm right. the, yeah. We're we're on the doorsteps of what we're about yeah. to do. We're not ruining it. He's right now. he's very much that philosophical question. Listen, there's a train coming. There's a division in the track ahead. If you let it go one way, it'll kill a hundred adults. If you pull the switch, it'll kill one child. Do you do it? In this moment, he pulled the switch. And this movie is filled with questions like that. that, that philosophy. That, to this day, we're here doing podcasts, oh, they trying to answer them to ourselves. They're unanswerable. Yeah. It's philosophical. It's, yeah. You can make points for both sides. You know, Artie, that's a great word that you just used to describe this movie that I've never heard in context of Lawrence of Arabia is... The movie is philosophical. Yeah. It really is. It doesn't and give you, you answers. Know, it gives you, you questions. That, but you hear that when we're talking Rashomon. I mean, you hear that, you'll hear that with certain movies. But, like, I don't think a ton of people go to Lawrence Arabia as a philosophical movie. But it, it truly is. It asks more questions than answers. The, the, than, the, than providing answers. Uh, well, I know we're not doing themes this episode, but the, the theme is, who am I? Yeah. The, that's the... Everyone's... Theme in life every day, like who am I? What what defines me? What am I? Like what drives me? And this movie is philosophy. It doesn't give you answers. Mm-hmm. It gives you questions. Yeah. And it gives you both sides. And it makes you make a choice. Can I carry the narrative for a second? When he writes the note saying, "I'll pay you all this money," he's, it's because he's going to tell the generals in Cairo. Mm. And they're like, "Where? Across Sinai? You're going across Sinai? Like how are you doing that?" He's like, "Moses did it." Well, Moses was a prophet, Aldous says, and beloved of God. He said there was gold here. He lied. He is not perfect, he says of Lawrence. Lawrence goes, so now they ride off into the desert, and he's with uh, Faraj and, and Dowd. Dowd. And he goes, look, and there's a dust devil. And he goes, a pillar of fire. Mm-hmm. Burning bush. And Dowd goes, no, Lord. It's sand. So now the roles have flipped. Usually everyone brings up religious metaphors, and Lawrence is like, no, this is a human endeavor. I, like, I'm doing this. That God, you have no idea how you tempted God with bringing us through the nephod. He's like, no, I didn't tempt God. We did this. We accomplished this. Now he's bringing up a biblical reference right after they reference Moses, where he goes, look, this is what could have been what Moses saw crossing the Sinai as a pillar of fire, a giant dust devil. And, and Dawood goes, no, it's just sand. Like, the roles have flipped. He's like, no, this is natural. Well, Lawrence is making a supernatural reference. Yeah, because... And they're because saying Lawrence it's is, natural. Lawrence's God complex is coming to He's fruition. In the screenplay, after he says... I have I have a screenshot of the screenplay. After Dawood says, no, Lord, it's sand, Lawrence laughs and rides forward. On the walk back, he goes, I need to tell them I have taken Aqaba. Now it's I. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Now it's not the Arabs have taken Aqaba, or I have led people to take the Aqaba. He goes, I have to tell them I've taken Aqaba. Yeah. And, uh, like, so, and like God, Lawrence has now had the ability to giveth and taketh away. Yeah. Killed and saved. It, it can't be a big Hollywood movie without a big Hollywood moment. And this is... I've heard so many people reference this when they say, Oh, Lawrence Ferry, that's the quicksand movie, right? Uh, the, the, is that really a memorable scene for people? That's I think most, it is. Yeah, well, because I would say, like, as far as like visual trauma goes, it's probably the most. There's a few scenes that are a bit, uh, a bit graphic, but this is the one where it's like, oh my god! I mean, no one wants to be eaten by the. This earth. is one I of mean, the. This is <laughs> one of the least Jesus. memorable scenes for me in the movie. Yeah, I mean, well, and that make that checks out because it's the most Hollywood. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, that's it the, doesn't yeah. participate in the. The thing the, I remember most about this scene is him watching him go under. You don't see him go under, but you watch Lawrence watch him go under mm. and cover and, and then cover he, the other then he consoles the other guy as well by putting his head down, but he just kind of stares at it, watches it, and then he's like, "Okay, I'll." But he knows he can't get too close because you'll see. Too. Right, Meanwhile, like, he yeah. just went back for Kasim. Well, this is yeah. This is the the importance of of this is 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 that he is unable to save. Him. This is it's it's checking his mortality. It's checking his humanity here. <clears throat> there are things he can't do because we just see one of these. He, he's unable to save him. Mm-hmm. And as he brings it up before, what does he say? I killed two people. Right. So he's viewing. Not being able to save this man who's nipple deep in quicksand from... Uh, he views that as murder. He shares that with he Prince Faisal. Because Prince Faisal says, like, you know, I'm, I, he, I think he says something like, I killed these... Like, uh, we lost mm. X amount of people. He's like, I never forget this number. Yeah, and like, think about how many, how many more you'll, you'll lose. We'll get, we'll get a little later on where uh, a lot of great people died. I'll manage it better next time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> over the over he's the like, glass He's like the Turks are prisoners. They have no boots. Well, they're not all prisoners. Uh, a lot died. I'll manage it better manage next it time. Lawrence has completed another impossible journey here. And as I said, I love you. Gotta love the uh, the you just like you just accomplished a feat that no one thought was ever possible. And it's like, all right, now we got another one to do here. Now we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do a triathlon. You know, <laughs> let's go, let's, uh, let's do a, a jolly jog through Mount Sinai. Yeah, what, what are you guys tired? <laughs> back to Cairo. Um, yeah, uh, uh, he makes yeah. a great point though. He's like, if I send one of you back to tell them, they're not gonna believe you. You did this impossible task of of, yeah. of conquering Aqaba. Well, he knew he had to do it himself because they wouldn't believe anyone else. I, I gotta, I gotta just and listen. We're of course this is there's a, a, an element of a love fest going on here, saying this is great, this is great. But the transitioning of the desert back to first world quote-unquote society through the abandoned army base and through the muddled uh, dirt and the splashing of the water on the face. I'm talking about another biblical oh, well, too. Yeah. My God. My God, brilliant. The, 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 the swinging screen door, the shot through the screen door, the cinematography never quits. Jay, your boy, your boy Freddie... Uh, Freddie Young. Freddie Young. Just doesn't, doesn't stop. Sure. That shot of the boat Driving through the desert is just incredible. <laughs> when I first am watching this movie, I'm like, "This is what's happening! Like, what is fucking happening?" Mm. And then you understand what's happening because it's the canal, and I'm like, and I "It's so they jarring." Get this. They put you in this world. Yeah. When they take you out of it, it's jarring. Well, it, even being it brings you back to that motorcycle. It's like, "Whoa, wait a minute! What's it? Oh, that's right. This is we're, we're in the 
we're in the night. We're in the uh, you know the, the 1900s again. Right. I forgot about we're that. I thought we were, yeah, I thought I thought I thought we were dealing with Moses again. Right. right. But um, Jay, Freddie Young, I, I got to shout me because it, it's so easy to just say David Lean, David Lean, David Lean. But right. We do. We give always give a lot of love to the uh, the D, the DPs around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freddie Young won uh, one Oscars on two other David Lean projects. He'd win one for Doctor Zhivago. He would win one for Ryan's daughter. Um, nominated two times. Oh, Bolt did that too. Robert Bolt wrote that. Uh, yeah, I didn't even know it yeah. was yeah, like, yeah, team a popular yeah, movie, team so I didn't yeah. read it when I was going through IMDb. Yeah, uh, Jay, I know you're uh, Jay and Artie both. You guys are always the first people to uh, to tip your cap to to this to the director of photography. It, it got to the point where like you can't even bring it up for this movie too much because I could spend we could literally just talk about shots. Yeah, you so, can do a uh, full three-hour episode on shots. Already, in addition to the boat, we get the kind of the the thesis statement of the movie: the Who are you? Right, and it's amazing how how a great and it's film, a man on a motorcycle yelling it. And 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 how a great filmmaker can tell you exactly what he wants, the point he wants to make without being heavy-handed. And yeah, okay, if you've seen the movie seven times, it's it's heavy-handed, but like. When you're seeing this movie the first time and he's yelling, who are you? You're, 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 I just saw this weird boat. Like, I'm not even worried about that. What's going on with this boat? It, dude, the first watch of this movie is too much to comprehend. It is. It yeah. really is overstimulating. It's too many bits for the brain. Like, yeah. I mean, if the brain's a computer, it's too many bits. And this is our next time to bring up Steven Spielberg again because we're going to be doing this over and over again. He, he, I was watching an interview with him about this movie and one of the things he said is that when he saw this as a 19-year-old... He was all oh, this great thing. Lawrence Arabia is like, oh, everyone's good. He saw it and he left the theater perplexed. And it took him two months of thinking about what he saw to even get his head around what the movie was it and dis- what it could it, be. It discouraged him from wanting to be a director. <laughs> the bar, the bar, I didn't know things could be this good. The bar was set too high. Yeah, yeah. he's like, I can't do this. I mean, but and then and then he said that you know it it, it did a ton of and and I, I had a similar experience where a ton of like. I know I loved that, but I can't put my finger on why. And then you see it again. It's like when you see things like the match cut, and you see things like um, like Lawrence pondering and going, you know, to, to his two guides and, and going, Akaba. And rather than getting their reaction, instantly cutting to Omar Sharif's reaction in a further part of the plot. Like that's like, I mean, talk about next level there. That's like, it's how, like yeah, it's boom. It's like we're not even gonna waste time with their reaction. Their reaction isn't important. Let's cut to him breaking the news to the guys that matter. Boom, and then and then you know, and then we don't even see Sharif telling Prince Fazl. I hope I hope he didn't break uh, your trust by, or your confidence by telling me. Yeah, you know, I get just. He's like, but so, you didn't tell you you didn't tell General Brighton. He's like, like no. Huh? He's like, can I say I ride in your name? He's like, you can say that, but whose name do you ride in? Yes. Like another existential yeah. question, so like, like you have no allegiance to your commanders. Yeah, who's your allegiance to now? It's like they're asking the audience, like who's mm-hmm. who is like I don't know who he's who he's riding for. Like, yeah, it's ambiguous. Mm. He you doesn't know. know. Sometimes I love him and sometimes I hate him. I'm like Peter O'Toole. Yeah, Lawrence. 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 Yeah, this movie, I'm Character. like I don't know because he's a human. You're gonna be. <laughs> yeah. He's a human. Yeah, he's. This is the first time we see him shook. And we see him. He's not broken. We'll get there later. But uh, when but, he turns, to yeah. When we, Cairo. yeah, now, yeah. When he has to have the water splashed on his face, and yeah, and he's going in into Cairo. This is a moment here uh, of of acting. He did not win best actor 
he lost Best Actor to Gregory Peck. Pod, fa- <laughs> pod favorite Gregory Peck. I have I've said in the past I've been quoted as saying that Gregory Peck is walking around with Peter O'Toole's Oscar. That that this was that this in every right should have gone Peter O'Toole's way. I mean, jeez. Do you agree, Jay? Do yeah. you think it should have gone? Do you think he should have won? So when we, I was thinking of my recast. Um, I was like, kid, could you recast Peter O'Toole? Because I don't get a good grip on him sometimes throughout the film, and I realize that's the point. He's doing mm. such a good job that I can't read him, and I can't cozy up to him and relate to him sometimes. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't, and he just he gives you this like off-kiltered feeling. Where is he going next? Is he going to get worse? He doesn't worse? fit in the situation. Right. Ever. Right, right. <laughs> like, he's always his thing in a situation. It's, it's such a challenge. Forget about the obvious physical challenges that go on of, of having to do all this on top of a flea-ridden camel in the 127-degree weather. I mean, like, forget about that end of it. Tackling this, this mysterious entity of, of a lead character that, at times, I feel the director isn't fully sure what he is. And I think that, that, that there's a question mark that, uh, that arises for anyone, however close they may be to this movie, which to me is the genius of the movie in itself. And I think a performance like that can't be understated. And how do you, how do you do such horrible things and such, you know, uh, what I think makes him so endearing or makes you keep watching and, and kind of keeps your eye on him is he's so certain of himself he's so certain of what he wants to do he's kind of like what everybody wants to be you know Mm -hmm. they want to be confident they want to do great accomplishments and kind of like laughing every anyone who told them they can't do it you want to be like i did it anyway and you want to be praised by everyone like oh so i almost feel like going back to this 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 guns artillery thing it's almost like this this discussion of human ambition Mm -hmm. right here's Lawrence of Arabia's ambition, here's artillery, guns, and the horrible things that man can do is Lawrence, and here's where Lawrence started. Is he going to eventually make his way up to that grand scale of annihilating other groups of people in this name of ambition? I love the narrative that Lean takes on war. He never is like, let's show battles and death and murder. He's like, let's show the hard decisions. Yeah, problem solving. Bridge on, Bridge on the River Kwai and, and Lawrence have a lot in common with that. Hmm. Like, let's show a leader making hard decisions and dealing yeah. with both sides of good choices and bad choices. Hard choices and easy choices. And what those decisions do to the psyche and do to the person. Right. The identity. Right. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, a great, there's a great element of companion piece to this and Bridge. But I gotta say, I was watching this last night, and I love Bridge in the River Kwai. And in many, and in many, and in many instances, I would be way quicker to recommend Bridge in the River Kwai to someone than Lawrence Arabia. When it's all, when it all comes down to it, though, I just don't think the movie holds a candle to this movie. It doesn't. It's 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 JV compared to Varsity. Bridge in this, it's it it's seeing what a great filmmaker graduates to when they achieve full success yeah this is lawrence so the, the entering of the scene the uh, he likes your lemonade the whole the whole the whole yeah the whole Dude. at the end of any, everything all i want is two glasses of lemonade. i have a great one for him well, i have a great one in in the screenplay when he gets 
when they're when they're pulling up, the guy driving like the the jeep or the carriage that brings them up mm-hmm. to the building, he's like, "You're going in like that with him," and he's like, "Yeah." He, it says in the screenplay, knowing it's not his problem, he says. And the driver's like, all right, take care. Like, it says knowing it's not his problem. Uh, so, like, it right, gives yeah, the that's emotion cool. that's to, cool. the, to the actor, like, yeah. all right. What a bookend for part one from when he leaves in this kind of bumbling fashion in a British uniform, tripping over tables, not knowing how to salute on time, to walking in at the end in these, in this, in these robes of a different culture, a different country, at, with just nothing but pure, um, just demand. I want two lemonades. I want a room mm-hmm. for my boy first, yeah. and then I'll do it after I meet with Allenby. And just the completely different person, yeah, as opposed to begging for an opportunity. Right. You know, I have to shout out. Uh, and if you, if you, if you're real, if you're a real diligent BPC listener, when I go through the uh, the, the people involved. I don't always bring up the costume designer. I did this time, though. The costume designer, Phyllis Dalton. The British officer uniform that Lawrence wears is purposely... Too big. ...ill-fitting. Yes. He looks uncomfortable in it because he was uncomfortable and he didn't fit. Whereas the, uh, the Arab prince outfit that he wears, he looks majestic in. And his posture... Is different in those two. But he and walks like it, like he's been wearing it for years. Shoulders back. The costume design in this movie is goddamn brilliant. It's perfect. It's so perfect. amazing, and it was done with such care. And and listening to the costume designer Phil Dalton talk about it, she says that everything was authentic to how to, to costumes people wore, except for Aldo Abadai. So the costume that he wore was completely fictional. There's nothing that anyone would wear at that time. But I felt that character needed a little something. The navy blues and the... Yeah, it, was just, it was off-color because that character needed a little something. So that part was fictionalized. That part was a little bit of creative license on me. But I feel like it worked. For and the better. Like, For so the better. Cool. So well, cool. He's so such cool. a loose cannon character and he comes off that way because he dresses different, he acts different, he talks different. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're like, you, you he's a, him a little bit because he's different. They're he's kind of jammed into the story. Yeah. He doesn't flow naturally into the story. He's like a separate entity. I did mention before that I recorded an episode of 1001 on Lawrence Arabia with our, our friend uh, Adam St. John over there. who has been on our Ben Hur episode and an English patient episode, among others. And I do want to play a little clip about him because he's a, an acting coach. And anytime we get a, a professional to weigh in on, on some of this stuff, I want to get uh, his take on on Lawrence and what he considers the, the biggest moment of his acting performance in the movie. I did, I did, I, I, I don't like going backwards when we've got the momentum for it, but there is a moment here that I have to call attention to. And I did on that episode of 1001. So you can go check that out. It's on the Below Freezing podcast. Check that out. You can hear our conversation. But the moment where they've taken Aqaba and Lawrence is on Camelback and we've spent so much time in the desert looking for water, just rationing water, figuring things out, we finally see the, the ocean. And we finally see... Um, we finally see the water and the shoreline and he rides up on camel we talk about camel choreography he he rides right up to the edge of the water and the wave coming forward and walks along it for a few seconds before dipping into it and the camel dipping into the water and it's the 
it's the 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 emergence of his newly found Arabian identity and his British roots who own the sea. So now part of him owns the land and part of him owns the sea. And here he is on the camel reveling in his empire. And it's it's such a moment where the themes and the 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 cinematography just come together and it's just it, it's mind blowing. And then and then you get uh, Sharif Ali coming in and with with the garlands and and whatnot there, but such a, such an amazing moment visually and thematically. I love how underwhelmed Lawrence is. Like he's just staring at the the water and the sand. Like, all right, well, I did this. Now what? Mm. And he and he he kind of internalizes that. And he's like, well, now I have to go to Cairo. I, I need another mission. And that's that's the tough part about those the high stake thrills. Is he doesn't need like, another thrill. It's over. So now yeah. what? So now he's like, I need to go to Cairo. And on the way, he's like, well, I took Aqaba. Like, Kinda he like changes. When, that moment of him reflecting on his empire there, though, is, is something in the accomplishment. Kind of like when he starts beating on his motorcycle. Just, it seemed like it was for thrills. Yep. The old warning signs. It was for thrills. He was a big motorcycle guy in real life. Yeah. He was obsessed with his motorcycle. He used to drive those English countryside roads all the time. I was there. So the, the the final scene we get of of really basically from him re-entering Cairo in in the shawls we've talked about and and then him talking to his officers the whole the whole we took Aqaba and I love uh, trying to get who took Aqaba yes. oh dude that's the one thing that stands out to me about that scene is he when he's talking about all the things that he's wished. To, and dreamed of, and he's finally now accomplished them. He does not seem happy that he did it. Yeah, it's like oh, it's like Aka. Like he's so, he's th- there's no more happiness and passion about what he's done. And yeah. he, this is something that he's had such great ambitions about. Yeah, the, the adrenaline thrill seeker needs needs the next the next tick up. But I do want to tip it off to Adam here, just talking about uh, his talking about Peter O'Toole's performance here in that. Real quick, a cool part about that part. Um, with the lemonade where he's like, I took Aqaba. And Dryden, in the screenplay, it says, he can't comprehend this statement, so he just moves forward. <laughs> and he's like, what? Huh? Who took Aqaba? He's like, I took Aqaba. He's like, it's like he still can't understand the fact, the factuality of the statement. Yeah. He's like, he took Aqaba. He's like, oh. Well. I, and then it's like everything changes. I'm going to tip it off to a clip of, of Adam here talking about it. And... Uh, how he kind of thinks that this is the moment here that really should have won Peter O'Toole the Oscar here. So we'll, we'll, we'll tip it off to Adam here. But when they get back to Cairo, I think like the next like 10 to 15 minutes before we hit intermission, those 15 minutes alone should have gotten Peter O'Toole the Oscar. The way that he is stubborn and adamant uh, when he's in the officer's lounge, the way that he says he doesn't want to go back, he is putting on a clinic. And I remember thinking, too, he, essentially when it feels like he's being tricked by Allenby to basically go back, the the eye acting that he's doing. And I I hate saying eye acting, but it's the easiest way to describe it. But what what's actually happening, what good actors do is they're not just hearing their 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 scene mates say lines. They're 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 hearing every word and thinking about it, right? And it's and you're seeing him actively think about everything that's being said to him. And then you're seeing him also react internally. So all of the, the thinking that's happening in in those moments, I don't want to say eye acting because it makes it sound like he's just looking around. Like the active right. listening and thinking that is happening when he's in um, Allenby's office is just like top notch. And then it's also so funny because then 
the, and then again, like the who are you? The quick switch. That he's. I mean, then he flips right back to okay, well, we're gonna need all this stuff, and he gets it all. It's like, oh, okay. And then like after intermission, the next time we see him is him with this big fucking smile on his face because he's just blowing this track off of the rails. <laughs> it, it's it's fascinating. There's moments. There's moments in, in in any of these movies where there's actors doing a, a technique or a skill that I'm just not on the same page with as not not being an actor or any of that. But the performance alone here speaks for itself. And 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 just calling out that little moment of technique because I think you see the same thing when he's asking for the lemonade and he is not focused on anything except what he just accomplished and what got him there. And everyone else is trying to tell him what to do and trying him where to go. I think and, that's but, where Adam's saying this starts. Like yeah. when they get back, yeah, yeah, that's definitely absurd. And then when he was with Allenby, oh, that whole scene is amazing. I think, uh, are we ready to, uh, I think we put a bow on this thing here. Are we ready to move on to the next step here? Jay's Awards? Yeah, we're ready. Yeah, we're going to do Jay's Awards boom, here boom, for, boom, the, boom. for the first half. But first, I think we need to enter oh, God. the nitpick zone. Do, 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 do. So the nitpick song for Lawrence Ray, this is, this is a weird one because yeah, it's just like on. it's hard to it's hard to nitpick one of Sir David Lean's uh, great masterpieces here. Uh, would either of you guys like to start first? Do you, do you need me to throw first blood? Or are we... I'll go first. Okay, Jay's ready. <laughs> Jay's, got it. Jay's ready to go. All right. Uh, actually, you know, kind of funny. The quote-unquote war scene ambush, the planes ambushing scene mm -hmm. where you hear the guns on the plane. <laughs> But you see no guns. You see no gunfire <laughs> coming off the planes. You just hear gunshots. And you assume, because you can't see actual guns, that yeah. these planes are supposed to be shooting down on the... Uh, uh, a, little, a little bit of the, the sound design stepping out of this box a <laughs> yeah. little bit there. You know, it's uh, fine. Yeah. yeah. But it's obvious if you're looking. Um, I don't like nitpicking this movie. I don't either. It makes me upset internally. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you one. The motorcycle crash is like a little cinematographically compared to the rest of the movie. It's not as sharp. Mm, interesting. Because he just kind of like swerves, wobble, wobble, wobble and then they show the kids, and then they the show the wheel, and then they show the the bike with the spinning wheel. It is. Uh, I, we're in the nitpick zone. Yeah. Like, I don't wanna, <laughs> there it is. Come on, check, check off your bingo card. It is um, completely different. We talked about how jarring it is. It's, it's different, different than the entire yeah. movie. Totally. Yeah. I got a little one. I love picking these little petty ones, but we make this whole big little point here about one cup. One cup of water. No. I'll drink when you drink, you know. If this water needs to be rationed so intensely, when we're pouring it back into the canister, can we be a little Don't more scrupulous here? No, it's blatantly spilling it all over the place. It's like, that drop might save your life a little later on here. Like, a I realize you're on the back of the camel here, but if you're not going to drink it, can we just, like, a, a little, like, a light, like, can we act like you're pouring bleach or something because it's not going to stain everything around? Like, it's a little bit, a little bit more care. Can but, I nitpick your nitpick? Oh, we're in the zone here, man. Let's go. We're on the terrain. They knew how many days. Just like when they crossed the Nephod, mm -hmm. they knew how many days it would be and how the rations. They might know that pouring it back in is not the biggest deal. Like, I'll drink when you drink. He's not yeah, drinking. But I'm saying but, don't the spill guy, it, though. Don't the spill guy, We need all the water, all I get water we can get here. We, but, we, just, just take a little. But maybe they don't. Maybe yeah. they don't. Maybe they know how close they are to the well. I mean, I'm light on the nitpicks here, too. I, I do... 
you know, the, the leaving the tent where Dryden kind of leaves the, the tent and Lawrence stays back. Would there not be some, would there not be some, uh, some protocol there where he would order him to come with him and not let him, you know, like, uh, there's kind of like a rank there, like you can't stay back and talk to the but in without my presence. In Faisal's tent, Faisal's in charge. Yeah, yeah. I, I get. I'm just wondering if he would have allowed him, if he would, if, if, if an hiring officer would have allowed him to stay back. He might have like forced him, especially as he's already known he's talking to turn. He might have forced him to leave. If first. he if he didn't walk out first and already leave the tent, then yes. Mm, true. So you, uh, yeah, I, I could see the cause for like. And in the because he can't once the once the tent's closed, he can't, he can't go back. In, in the yeah. in the script, bring it up again. He says it says in the in the script in the screenplay that Faisal gestures to Lawrence to stay, and it also says that when Ali and Brighton leave the tent, they look back at the flap and they expect Lawrence, and he's not there. Mm. It says all that. Like, yeah, that's and, and how well the is, writing is. Right, and my, and my nitpick is is that he would have ensured that Lawrence leave the tent before him. It's not up to him doesn't in want the, the tent. Two of them. Uh, no, but as they're leaving, it's like, you know, as his, as his superior officer, like, you watch him leave. You stay between the man and the basket. There was a similar thing, maybe not similar, but it caught my eye. In the very beginning, Dryden is standing next to Lawrence, looking down at General Murray. He's talking to them, and then he's like, you can get out of here. I'm done with you guys. Dryden turns to the door to leave. Lawrence keeps talking to Murray, and Dryden just keeps walking. You know, I would have thought like Dryden comes back and be like, "Like, come on, yeah, like, get out of here. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm leaving. We're both leaving." But he doesn't. He like goes to the door, turns around, and Lawrence tries to get in another word, and Murray's like, "Get, get, get, get yeah, out of here." What Maybe Lawrence, some Lawrence good tries to re-salute. Properly, yeah, right. Which and I feel is like a kick. Uh, it's like a my, it's like a my cousin Vinny thing. You. Or, are you told me to wear a suit. I'm wearing a suit. It's you like, see, are you mocking me? There's a, there's a good counter to my nitpicking saying that there's an example earlier in the script of Lawrence lingering back and finding right. a way to let his superior officer leave so he can get a little something in. So I like that, I like yeah. that answer too. It's cool. Do we have any other nitpicks there? It's, it's a little tough. I'm sure Grant and Joey... My will. nitpick is nitpicking your nitpicks. <laughs> I'm sure Grant and Joey will, will have a couple floating that they'll, they'll want to put in. We'll, we'll, deal with that, uh, we'll deal with that tomorrow. So we're going to go to a, a, a version of the awards here. Jay, you're going to give uh, your first half awards. Me and Artie will give our awards tomorrow, but we are we are going to hop in on a few of the categories here. I'm also going to give my recommend today. So Jay, when you give your recommend, I'll, I'll give mine as well. And then Artie, you and Grant and Joey will give your recommends tomorrow, just to kind of space things out a bit. But Jay, let's start off with, uh, after experiencing the first half of Lawrence of Arabia, uh, for the first time in a decade, over a decade? Decade, 10 years. Yeah. Who's your MVP? Freddie Young. <laughs> Freddie Young, F.A. Young. You know, as much as David Lean might have to do with it, which is fine, but let's give the cinematographer his dues in this being, you know, the best cinematography I've seen, that's for sure. I mean, I can't... I can't <laughs> Period. Yeah. Period. Talk about, talk about taking... Yeah. Your surroundings and just using them to the to to the best possible way. Yeah, I mean you're the de- you're the director of photography in the movie that employed the greatest cinematography of all time. It's it's number one. Period in the sentence. It's number one. Period in the sentence. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, everything 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 strives to be this. I think we've elaborated um, on that enough. Before right? we. Before we get to your LVPJ, I do want to ask you a direct question because you led this thing off with saying that 
you saw this 10 years ago, didn't have a great experience. I, I think anyone listening to this conversation could see that you've had a much different experience this time. Um, just in, in a couple bullet points, because we're just kind of a couple on the MVPs, it, what, what about this experience was, was different from you? And were, were, there a, were there a couple of specific moments that, uh, that, that stuck with you after this view? This time around? Yeah. The, I've watched it since the first time 10 years ago. I watched it three times in the last two weeks. Mm. And it just, you pick up more things. Right, the first time is just overload, mm. musical overload just to kick off, <laughs> yeah. um, and then spatial overload. Now I gotta wait, I gotta invest my time in in this in this long movie, and by the third time in two weeks, I'm like picking up every little thing, all the little brilliant nuances that we've already talked about, the brilliant um, things in the script, uh, the motifs. Then you start getting into the motifs and the themes. And then Lawrence himself, who I thought was like, you know, um, I don't know. I didn't really get, you know, I couldn't, you, Peter O'Toole didn't put himself in a box for me the first time enough for me to get him and to relate to him. And by the third time, you're like, that's fine with me. That's what he's supposed, he's supposed to be out of the box. There's not supposed to be a box that fits into him. So you kind of just, by the third time, the, the, a go around, you're letting David Lean drive and you're just mm. sitting along for the ride. Very so well, well put. Yeah. So, so well put. Very I, well put. I, I do really, and I feel like this gets said a lot, like a little, a, a little tritely, but like, I, I do believe this is a movie that, quote unquote, gets better every time you watch it. Oh, it 100%. really does. Like, there's enough in this, in this movie to reward you every single time you watch it. There's literally a character in this movie this time where I'm like, what did they just like? What did they put him into the screen like a, like a George Lucas style? Like I don't remember this guy at all. Like and and it's like wow he he's not just in this part of the movie he's in the beginning of the movie too and I never noticed him it, it's it's uh, it's it's just it's just so rewarding every time you do it so well said amazing stuff. That being said, let's get to the negatives here. The least valuable player of the first half. Oh, I can't tricky. wait to hear Jay's album. Yeah. No, I, I, I copped out. I That's think. okay. Uh, I'm going with, uh, in the beginning, General Murray. He's the guy who set, who doesn't think he should go in the first place. Tells him to shut up twice. Tell, thinks he's pretty much useless. Tells him, you're the kind of creature I can't stand. He's mad there's no artillery. Uh, he's played by Donald Wolfett. And uh, just a sour puss, just a real Debbie <laughs> Downer. And don't forget, like at the end of the first half too, the uh, oh, uh, General Murray's been replaced by. Uh, but he goes, he oh, an, an improvement. He he goes, that's, a step in, that's a step in the right direction. That's a step in the right direction, right? Yeah, that's right, good. Wow. Um, and he's uh, and I get right into it. He's recast with Brian Cox because he could play. Oh my god, dude. Is fucking play, amazing! Because he could play a dick with a mustache. As oh well. my god, that's so good! Wow, that is amazing. And and yeah, I did this. I did this one thousand and one episode in in with the memorial episodes for Ian Woodington, and he loved Brian Cox. So I think he he he's, he's cheers in you. Nice. He's cheers in you right now. That's amazing. Very nice. Okay, so that's the recast. <laughs> very, very well done. Recast. Really the good. Other. Really Recasting good. Recasting the other fantastic scene. Of the first half, so before we get to Jay, me and Artie are going to chime in here. Artie, we'll have you go for a scene of the first half. doesn't have to be the scene of the movie. For you, it's the scene of the first half. The boat goes by, and then the motorcyclist yells, who are you? Incredible. 
Yeah, I think the... that sums up the movie. Yeah. Period. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. And and in, and in Here's this... something. Here's a boat in the sand. You would never expect that. Followed by Who are you? And here's Lawrence of Arabia, a fucking boat in the sand. Coming out of that, a post-apocalyptic abandoned yeah. war camp, too. So the guy is, is out of place in the desert, just like the boat. That's yeah. my scene in the movie. So cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so... Thanks. Thanks man, Jack. every time I see this, I appreciate it, a, a different scene. But for me, the scene of this movie will always be the scene that goes back to my first viewing of it, where I can remember where I was laying watching this thing and that is the appearance of Sharif Ali through the Mirage. It's just that that up into the 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 full exchange, that whole thing is just God, that's why I watch movies. Like moments like that is why I watch movies. Just exchanges like that is why I watch movies. It is just it's just it I'm I'm just floored every time. So yeah, that's it's that, perfect. Yeah. And, Perfect. And every time I watch it, I like to pick new things out that I love, but it always goes back to the well. The well is everything. <laughs> yeah. You always drink it from the same well. Jay, scene of the first half? What'd you got? I think I uh, mentioned this, but I'll tell you again. The scene of the first half for me is when they meet the prince for the first time in the tent with Brighton. Mm -hmm. And the prince is the first person who will, who wants to hear what Lawrence has to say and wants and gives him the floor to speak. He says, talk, tell me more, after being told to shut up by his own British superiors. Um, so this is the scene where, for me, Lawrence turns and is able to give advice, become give advice on military stuff and just take control of the situation and the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's just, just great stuff. And, and for me... As I watch it, becomes my favorite time to be locked in on the screen, and I think it's probably ultimately the most rewarding section of the movie. That little tent visit there, great choice. I'm, I'm happy you shouted that one out. Quote: My quote, which was brought up before, is the trick is not minding that it hurts, which mm. sets up his character for all these great things he's about to go do. It's the same thing as it was. It's yeah. who are you? Yeah, who are, who are you? Remember the scene? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and this is one I could just rattle off so many quotes of it. I mean. I, I I did the one I, I read before about uh, the desert is an ocean in which no ore is ever dipped, and, and read that one off before. So that that for this viewing, that's the one that stood out to me. Next viewing, I'm sure I'll have another quote. I can't wait to get to the second half. Couple new awards we're debuting here for season four. We have the the cutting room floor, the editor station. So now we're going to go to the possibly the greatest. Edited movie of That's all time. That's what I mean. Like we're starting with Lawrence uh, yeah. of Arabia. Well, like any, cut a scene if, from Lawrence of Arabia. If there's Come on. any place to do it, let's do it from the top uh, of the top of the mountain because it's only downhill from here. And if there's listen, that being said, being it one of the greatest edited films of all time, it is a near four hour movie. So if there's a moment, and we all kind of always say here, every movie could be a little bit shorter. Is there a little moment of the first half? And listen, if the answer is no, it's no. But is there a moment that could have been tighter, could have been a little... This is it's very hard. I did ultimately come up with an answer, though. So I, I'm going to flat out tell you, I was not able to find something in, 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 in the first part. In the second part, I have a scene. Okay. So we'll, wait, we'll wait till tomorrow. So we'll wait till okay. tomorrow. So you're, you're not but in the first yet. part, I'm going to say this is fucking perfect. Yeah, it's damn near perfect. It's fucking perfect. Uh, Jay, what do you got? Oh, I'll cut a scene. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got a little brie. Oh, brie we got a brie going on over here. Um, I'm gonna cut. So the first time he goes into the desert with the Bedouin tour guide, and it's nighttime and they're camping, and he says. They're talking about how he's from England, and he says, yeah, it's a fat country with fat people. And he goes, oh, you're not fat. And he goes, no, I'm different. Okay. Don't need the seam. I don't need it. God, you might have made the right choice. <laughs> I'm laughing because I did write that quote down. As this quote of the hey, movie, though. It got, it got cut from the podcast, so there we go. I edited it out. I didn't mention yeah. it. It goes, okay. That's, yeah, a, good, that's a really good one, Jay. If you're going to find something. Yeah. Uh, so mine is something that I thought could have been slightly tighter. It's a little section of the first half that I, I kind of find myself trailing off a bit, a little bit every time. And that's when we first meet Auda Abu Dai. And the encounter is amazing. The standoff is a little lengthy with the, with the young kid and uh, I feel like that, it's important. I feel like that could be tweaked. But the big spot for me is, is when he turns and says, let us dine. We get the incredible shot through the valley off the, off the mountain. I mean, that, I need to keep that shot. That shot's got to stay because it's one of the greatest shots of the movie. One of the many greatest shots of the movie. Where we, we go down into, we kind of see down into the valley of all the troops. And then, I kind of would like to go right from that shot to the tent. There's a little bit of going down and watching them like on the horses kind of rallying around in a circle and carrying on a bit. And I, I get that there's like they're doing a little bit of a celebration before the celebration. But that's kind of just one thing. I feel like show us that amazing shot of them and all his people and the power that he has. And then cut the tent. Get me right to the tent. Yeah. yeah. So it's again, we're only losing two minutes or yeah, whatever it is. It's like, really yeah, nitpicking. It's very right? clever. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I came up with there. It's yeah. pretty good. You could claim some sports. So what about the part where he's um, walk after they lose the guy in the quicksand and he's walking and the guy's like, hey, why are you walking? I got enough room on this camel. And he looks at him like, you're right, and gets on the camel. I love that. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's... I mean, I don't have, I'm not ready reasonable. for an answer. <laughs> it's, him, ready, it's, it's, it's him being stubborn and, then, and convinced into being reasonable. Yeah, yeah, like there's, that, yeah. there's... You a, know, there's something to it. Yeah, he's like easily comes out of it. He's just, not just, just like, I do what I want. He's, <laughs> he's like, like, you know what, you, you yeah. made a good point. In somebody's 30-page dissertation of this movie, that's a key point. It's not in mine, but like, I, I get, yeah, right. Like, so yeah. We'll, we'll, we're, when we're dealing with finding out who the identity is of this guy, I think every little interaction he, he has he has got to walk. Yeah. Right. Now, I, I, this is another one of the little Oscar reevaluation spots. So I'm going to ask a pretty difficult question here. That will last for all our episodes moving forward. Lawrence Arabia was nominated for 10 Oscars. I'm going to ask you this question. I don't like it. If it only won one Oscar okay. and you're not allowed to pick best picture. So if it were to, basically if it were to win two. Best picture and another one. Which one would you choose? And if it were to win nine but not the tenth, what would the tenth one be? So Artie, I'll start with you. If it were to win, we'll start with what, what it should have won. So, if it wins Best Picture and only one other Oscar, which would be completely bizarrely egregious, let's let's get let's get that off of the Best of Cinematography. So you would go, you would go Picture Cinematography. Yep. Okay. That would be egregious and, if it didn't win that and, over to kill again, a fucking we're, Mockingbird. We're doing this in a bit of a vacuum here. So for all you Oscar nuts at home. Who are looking at the other nominees? We're not looking at the other nominees. We're just saying in a vacuum. 
you want to make sure it gets one other recognition, you're going to go cinematography. cinematography. Okay. I'll go the same. You're both going cinematography. Yeah. Okay. To me, it's, it's, I'm, I'm very clearly going director on this one. I think it's, it's, I think it's my favorite best director win of all time. I, I almost want to feel like we have to pick a third. Part of me thinks by, winning, be by winning best picture... You're honoring the director, so I'm giving it to the cinematographer. Well, yeah, that's very much the modern way of thinking with that's the Oscars. How I'm that doing does it. happen, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, in many ways, I think that for you, then you'd maybe almost want it to win director and not best picture, then even maybe, you know. Uh, sure, and I yeah. honestly, I wanted to say adapted screenplay. Which it did not win. I know. Yeah. Yeah, let's flip it on the other side. I'll give you the ten it was up for. It was up for best picture, best director, best cinematography, best art, set, direction, color, best film editing, best music, best sound, best actor Peter O'Toole, best adapted screenplay, and best supporting actor Omar Sharif. If you could have it win nine of ten and pick just one for it to not win, Jay, you gonna go first? Sound. Oh, wow. That's a hard disagreement. That's a bad me. choice. That's a hard Jay, disagreement. Jay, the, door, the door's there. The episode's over. <laughs> all right, Goodbye. All right. Give me yours. Kieran and I will finish um, it up. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not By easy. default, and, I think it's Ali. Okay, you're going to go. You're going to go. By default, I think it's Yeah, so Omar Street, best supporting actor already. And, yeah. I, I don't know how to pick one of the others. I don't. I, I do have a different one. And Come on. I know this is this is tough. This is super tough. Tell but me. I, I think that I think that every other technical aspect of this movie is properly rewarded, and I I think Omar Sharif deserved that Oscar. I think Peter O'Toole deserved that Oscar. I think Robert Bolt fucking deserved that screenplay Oscar. It's a travesty. So what are you gonna say? I'm gonna go with art and set direction. Dude. I know it's tough, dude. It's so, so tough. That's misleading. The title is misleading. That's getting shots in the desert. I no no the art and set direction goes for more what you build, and and the the structures that you build the sets that you build and, and film upon. So we're we're more going into the Cairo scenes and we're going into the to the English scenes, which are all beautiful and amazing and particularly in the second we see more of that in the second half. Um, restructuring Akaba, it's hard to know. <laughs> it's hard but to know. Art, but like, art direction. I think you're wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's only. Yeah, I mean, Artie, I, I get your point. Yeah, so I mean, listen, it's tough here in this one because I, I, I love them all, but that's that's the thing. Like these, that's, these were... that's the one I'm going with there. I, Omar Sharif, I, I get Artie, I, I get that that point too. I'm just picking the easy, the, the low hanging fruit. Oh, and uh, Jay, I'm sorry, we skipped out over your participation award. We're getting we're getting so excited here. It's Lawrence Arabia Week. Who's who got your your participation award? The camels. Yeah, the 100%, camels. Hundred percent. First of all, they got to do all this walking. They're just incredible creatures. But I'm like watching the way they like maneuver them, like pulling back on their heads and their necks. I'm like, these things, these things really. They worked their ass. They put up on a lot. They worked yeah. their ass. Yeah. And then the scene where they're all sitting down at the same time. Gotta say too, there's a there's a big anecdote from the story that there's a moment where, in in uh, where they're charging, the camels are charging, and Peter O'Toole falls off his camel in the middle of the stampede. And many think he could have been killed, but his camel loyally and instinctually stood over him to protect him from the oncoming stampede. So there you go. Is it your participation Beautiful. award shining? MVP. MVP. Yeah. Give it out. Give it MVP. Freddie Young participation. <laughs> moving you back. Yeah. So before we go, we're going to give a recommendation. Jay, you're going to get yours. I'm going to get mine. So Artie, you're going to go uh, 
Tomorrow we record the uh, the part two. You'll give yours then. But uh, Jay, what did you a think quick... about here for um, for recommend? Oh. If if you like Lawrence Arabia, where, where are you going to go next? So a quick two is Doctor Shivago because I've never watched it, so I recommend we all go watch. Ah, it. recommending a movie you've never it, seen. All right, let's go see it together. That's a first. Let's get on the David Lean train. And because uh, that's the next one I want to see. Mm. So if you haven't seen it, I recommend you join me. Join Let's him. go watch Chivago. The other one that it's not even close to cinematically, but it reminded me of is this movie called Michael Clayton, which is probably 2006. I already just sat up. I love Michael Clayton. <laughs> and in this movie, it's a character study on how somebody changes and they repeat in this movie, or at least they ask him, who are you? Mm-hmm. over and over and so Michael Clayton has to ask himself who am I in the beginning what is what have I been doing throughout my entire career and is this somebody I want to be moving forward and, and cin- cinematographically Michael Clayton is really fucking good it's a really good movie really fucking so if you good. want to see a character Will, study Tom Wilkinson is incredible uh, in that movie Tilda yeah. Swinton's Tilda incredible Tilda Swinton won the Oscar for best supporting actors that movie is such a hidden gem yeah. it's so annoying that no one likes that People won't watch it, and they and when they watch it, they're like, hey, it wasn't what I expected. No, it's really good. It's got great symbolism with horses. Yeah, you don't like it, right? It, it wasn't what I expected. <laughs> 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 Man. Yeah. No, hey, I'll, I'll, maybe I need. Maybe your recommend means I need to rewatch it. I've, uh, I've, I've heard that before. I know I've been on on Sam Meltzer's podcast before, and, and the Oscar doesn't go to. He loves. Loves, loves Michael Clayton. So nice. they're, they're, I, I know there's people out there praising it. So. Very nice. Okay, man, my recommend for Lawrence Ray, we're going to do this in part one here. And Ari, you teed this up so brilliantly when we started this thing. It's the first thing you said on this, and I'm like, wow, that's going to bookend this episode. And when we talk about recommends for these epic movies, you know, Godfather, Godfather 2, it always like, I go into a little bit of a shell. I'm like, what the hell am I going to pair with? Lawrence of Arabia. What the hell am I going to pair with Shawshank Redemption? What am I going to pair with The Godfather? You know, so there's an intimidating nature for this. So it's like, do you go dip back into the classic movies bank and, and pick something else out that you're going to match after just seeing this? I went the direct opposite route here with this one. And, and Artie, you spent some time talking about how movies will never be made this way again and, and how we, we need more practical filming and you hope that we can go back to to epics like this. I picked a movie I recently saw that employs some very kind of similar themes, impossible uh, military assignments and questions of mortality and leadership and uh, giving back to a cause based on, on your personal history with what you've done, what you are you left to do. This movie, I gotta say, is one of the greatest movie theater film experiences I've had in my entire life and been many years, and it's out in theaters right now for you to go to see. It's Top Gun Maverick. How did I tee that up? This <laughs> movie, because, Artie, this movie is a throwback. Are you talking to, about the sequel that's out now? Oh, that's out right now, yeah. Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Oh, it's a throwback to It films. is a throwback. This movie starts off with Tom Cruise talking to the crowd, but as Tom Cruise, saying everything we did in this movie is real. There is no CGI we flew these planes. Wait, they we say did that this in the, at the beginning right of the in the movie. beginning of the movie. The movie was a ten-year project. It is an absolute. I'm sorry if I'm losing anyone at home here, but it's an absolute masterpiece, and you need to see it. You need to see it in theaters. Kieran's text to me after seeing Top Gun Maverick was, "It will be a travesty if it's not up for Best Picture." And then I stand by that. 
That is an alarm. I have told two people that. This may sound, you know, like weird. When I told them, I was getting chills telling them that. Mm. I was like, this is Kieran. Yeah. Like, he he doesn't like action movies. He's he's all about best pictures, and he said it's a travesty if it's not up for best picture. It is a brilliant performance by Tom Cruise. One of the best of his career. It is an unbelievable character study about a man returning to what made him who he was and what he has to do to, uh, to, to check off the empty boxes of his past. The visuals in it, the sound in it is just, it's, it is everything that made me love the theater and, and it, everything that made me love cinema. I was blown away. I was flat out blown away. And I'm not the biggest Top Gun guy. Like, I, I grew up on Top Gun. There's a nostalgia factor to it, but I don't, like, I don't, like, go back and watch Top Gun every year. Like, hoo You know, like, yeah. it, it, but, dude, this movie absolutely checked every box I needed to check. It's awesome. Please go, if, if you're listening to this now and it's still out in theaters, and you haven't seen it, go check it out in theaters. And if you need any more, and I don't know how the statement will age, because this is the, this is the risk of picking contemporary movies. I'm tying this movie to one of my favorite movies of all time in Lawrence Arabia. I stand by, I stand by the narrative of this movie and the character study of this movie, and I think it is a great companion with Lawrence Arabia. So if you're out there listening to this, watching Lawrence Arabia for the first time, you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick, go out and check it out. Well, it's my eyebrows are up, so. <laughs> yeah, Ridley Scott go. did it, right? Ridley Scott? Uh, no, it's the director of Oblivion. Oh, okay. um, Oh, yeah. Oblivion! I love Oblivion, <laughs> dude. It's one of my favorite movies. The rewatchability on Oblivion is unreal. And to tie it into our podcasting, the wonderful Jennifer Connelly is in it too, making her her return to the to the well, silver we screen. You're a big Whiplash fan, so I'm sure Miles Teller being in it helped too. Miles right? Teller, Mix plays uh, plays Goose's son. I've oh, seen so many fucking people with mustaches since this movie came out. It's so annoying. And yeah, of course, we keep it. Comp- that is a thing, Gordy. Yes, that is a thing. Yeah, it's creating a fashion. But I I do want to say. And this is no spoilers. I think most people know at this point that he's in it. A bone-shaking, emotional appearance by Val Kilmer. Gotta throw that out there, too. Really? So, go check this movie out. That's all I'll say. So. Me and Joe B. may go see it next week. Do it. You'll, 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 you'll be doing yourself a favor. Okay, so we're, we're done here today, but we're not done with Lawrence Arabia. This is the end of part one. So if you're wondering where all the other sections, the Twitter questions, the other nominees, the one to fives, the one to 94s, they're all coming for you next week in part two of this episode. Jay, we are bidding you adieu here today. I'm going to give you the last word here. Uh, we will have the great Grant C and the great Joey R joining us for part two. RDB, you'll be back. RDB, you want to say, uh, say goodbye to the people here. Goodbye, people. Jay, I'm going to give you last word here. Uh, you want to get some, some last thoughts in uh, about Lawrence Ray before we, we tip our cap? Well, you know, I made it across the desert. My ship has come in, and it's time for me to get off this crazy train. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We'll be back tomorrow. It's going to be fun. <laughs> you say so.